Hello, and welcome to The Rob Burgess Show. I'm, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 51st episode, our returning guest is Jonathan Fowler. You first heard Jonathan Fowler on episodes 2, 10, 20, 21, 29, 30, 31, 32, 34, 35, 43, and 48 of the podcast. Jonathan graduated with a BA in history from Indiana University in 2006. He's an unabashed left-wing political junkie. He has lived and worked in South Korea for over 10 years, trying to help the citizens of that great nation hopefully talk pretty one day. And now on to the show. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Bob, how are you? Good, good. How's it uh, in the land of the morning calm? Not very calm. My neighborhood seems calm. <laughs> so the water cannons uh, haven't been deployed where you're at? <laughs> no, yeah, things are, I'm out in the, out in the countryside, I guess. still kind of a big city, but it's, it's pretty, I mean, it's bigger than Bloomington or anything like that. It's got, you know, probably like around, uh, probably about 800,000 or half a million. The Constitutional Court voted to unanimously, at least a year, I believe, to uphold the impeachment of Sergeant Dr. Moore. So what does that mean for, uh, is there a new election? She was impeached, I believe, gosh, I also don't remember when the impeachment took place. I think it might have been December, so I could be wrong. Maybe it was January. Um, but, um, in fact, we probably talked about it on earlier podcast, so it might, we might have mentioned when the actual impeachment happened in the, kind of like their Congress, I think, mm-hmm. the impeachment. And so then it had to go had to go to the constitutional court and they had to approve the impeachment impeachment. And if they hadn't approved the impeachment, she would have been reinstated as president. But because they approved the impeachment eight to zero unanimously, um, he has been removed as president permanently. Mm-hmm. And she's become a private citizen again, which means she's open to prosecution now. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as she was president, she was protected from criminal prosecution for her corruption and influence peddling and bribery and all this kind of stuff that she's accused of. Mm-hmm. But um, actually, it's a little bit up in the air right now because she refused to leave the Blue House, which is the Korean White House. She said that her regular home, which is in Samsung Dong, which is kind of done down in Kongnan, kind of south, southeastern Seoul. She said, I guess she's lived there for like 20 years, but she said it's not prepared for her to move there right now. It's being renovated or something, so she can't go back to her house, so she has to stay in the blue house. <clears throat> they let her. <laughs> I don't understand it. It seems like, frankly, it seems a little bit dangerous, and if this thing turns around, you may not want to broadcast this. Because, <laughs> mm. uh, I don't know. I, I, I think it's amazing to me that somebody could be allowed to say, you know, if I'm one of the judges, I say, okay, well, you, you don't have to go to your house in Samsung, but if you can't stay in the blue house, you've got a jail cell that's ready for you if you've got to stay somewhere tonight that's safe. <laughs> but uh, they're not doing that. So she insisted that she's staying in the blue house tonight, and nobody stopped her. So. Mm-hmm. 
And in the meantime, there's been violent protests by her elderly supporters, which I think are called the Baksama or the Baksamo. I forget the name exactly. It's a, it basically means the park's people, the people of park or something. Um, mostly, mostly elderly Korean citizens who have been protesting for several weeks and stuff. So no. And these are people that are loyal to her father originally and kind of guess carried over to her. Is that correct? Yeah, it's it's weird because I don't know how popular he was when he was the president. I mean, there were massive there were protests against him and stuff too. So when these people were younger, who knows? They might have been protesting against the father. But I guess looking back, they've you know they feel like well, actually, those are the best of times or something. And you know, he turned our country around. So I I don't understand it because I mean. The, the scandal that she's involved in, the accusations that have been made are so shocking and so ridiculous and so bizarre. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, frankly, like, the conservative party in Korea is kind of closely aligned with Protestant Christians. Mm-hmm. And so, who are, you know, whatever. But, um, um, so I was surprised that Protestant Christians in Korea were okay with the leader of the country not only not being a Christian, but consulting with this kind of this wacky shaman woman whose father led a cult and stuff. And they're just like, oh, you know, it's okay. It's not a big crime. And, you know, she shouldn't be impeached. I don't understand why she's being impeached, you know. It's it's kind of ridiculous. Um, two people died today uh, in Seoul. Two pro-park protesters died. Um, I guess one guy was trying to climb up on the police van. They were all like rocking this police van and one guy tried to climb up on it. But another pro park protester stole a police bus or, so, or not a police van. I should say a police bus, I guess. Another one of them stole another police bus and he drove the other bus into the first bus. And the guy was trying to climb up on it. A speaker fell off the top of it or off the side of it or something and hit him in the head. And he was bleeding from the head, I guess. And he died at the hospital Another guy seems to have collapsed in the street. Maybe he had a heart attack or something. Uh, and I just saw a video on CNN a bit ago where somebody was on top of the bus and they had a huge flagpole and they were like brandishing it at the police and the police just tackled this guy and like dragged him off the side of the bus and dropped him. With Another guy tried to get up and help him and they dropped him off the side of the bus too and they <laughs> dragged him out of there and stuff. And so, um, it's It's crazy because these people are like they all look like they're in their 60s or 70s or something and they're like battling the police and and for what you know it's kind of like why yeah I, i'm not sure this is the hill i would want to die on you know? <laughs> <laughs> so how does this change the uh the politics of south korea going forward does the does the larger party that she was a part of suffer along with her or are they just seen her themselves from they've her. already rebranded ah. they've already rebranded and but actually they already they split in two and one party is called the Baron and which i forget what that means um but um they are basically the part of the party that was not supporting her and they wanted to go forward without her and then there's another party which is like that's the party that's still loyal to her and they split in two, and they renamed themselves. They used to be all together called the Senuridong. And actually, when I first came to Korea, they were called the Hanaradong, which is like the one country party or something like that. Um, but they rebranded after 20, 2011 or 2012 to the Senuridong, which is like the New Beginning Party or something. I, I forget the name exactly what it means, but 
now they've split and they've rebranded, which is something that like we don't do in America. You know, your party has whatever reputation it has. You, know? you might have been the party. You know, I, I don't know. The, the party image evolves, I guess. Hmm. Um, but like in, in Korea, if your party gets too toxic or something, you just rebrand it and have a new beginning, I guess. So. But yeah, yeah, they're in two parties now, and the acting president is a former prime minister named mm-hmm. Hong Hong Kyo An, and he's going to run for president uh, in May. Um, well, or starting right now, maybe there will be an election in May. Mm-hmm. So basically, because the the uh, yeah because this was this went through, according to the Korean Constitution, they now have two months. They have to have the they have to hold elect an election within two months for the next president. So by May 9th or May 10th, they're going to have another election for the next president. And it looks like right now, it looks like it's going to be, I mean, not An I mean, Moon Jae-in. Uh, Moon Jae-in was a, the main Liberal Party's candidate in 2012, but he lost. Uh, but he seems to be the front runner right now. Mm. How does that compare politics-wise to the current president? Do they share a lot of the same policies, or is this going to be an ideological shift? Big ideological shift, yeah. In what way? Um, Well, for example, um, North Korea been acting a fool this past week, you know. (laughs) I'm sure you've seen. I've I've seen. uh, The past few weeks. Yeah, <laughs> they've been doing it. You've been seeing it. Yeah, they uh, they assassinated what, um, Kim. Let's see, uh, Kim Jong Nam. I think his name was the the brother, exiled brother of Kim Jong Un, half exiled half brother of Kim Jong Un. Yeah, which that story, as I've seen that on Spool, has just been one of the crazier uh, assassination deals I've ever seen. This is this is insane. <laughs> Yeah, I'm still so confused by the killers because, like, one of them was Malaysian or something. Indonesian, maybe, and the other one was Vietnamese. Yeah, and, and wasn't one of them wearing, like, a shirt that said, like, LOL or something, too? Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> the base killing your, killing your uh, exiled uh, heirs to the throne. Um, yeah. But the thing was, I, I still, I'm very curious to, to know because they both said that they were tricked. They said that, like, these North Korean people came up to them and said, hey, we're going to play a funny joke and you go up to random men in the airport and you're going to, like, splash this water on their face and they're going to be surprised. It'll be really funny. So, like, they said that they did that to three or four men or something and then they went and did this guy, but it was a VX nerve gas, <laughs> a nerve agent or something. It was, it's like, what a wacky game show. <laughs> you know? So, like, I don't know if that's true or not if they've been paid a lot of money or if they've been ideologically bribed or if they've been, you know, enslaved in some way. I, I don't know how the hell North Korea got two people who are not North Koreans to go into this kind of wackiness. But it may have been just that. It may have just been this wacky game that they were playing or something. So, mm-hmm. um, so then... The North Koreans apparently raided the Malaysian morgue where the body was being held. They were trying to get the body out and take it back to North Korea so no testing could be done on it, but they were prevented from doing that at the hospital. And some of the North Koreans who were suspected were able to fly back to Pyongyang, but some of the other ones are still hiding in the embassy or still at large in the country, I guess. And Malaysia has prevented those people from traveling back to North Korea. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like an attack thing, like North Korea said, okay, well, that's fine, but 
no Malaysian citizens who are in North Korea are allowed to leave North Korea right now. So we're going to like pull hostages too. Hmm. And Malaysia apparently had a visa-free travel program with North Korea that was going into effect, and that totally canceled now, of course. So mm-hmm. North Korea has kind of screwed themselves on the world stage with one of the few countries that probably is willing to deal with them now by doing this. Um, and in a connected thing, and the way this relates back is that I, I mean, I know the question was the question was about how does this you know, how does the new incoming, possible incoming president's politics line up with the current exiting president? Mm-hmm. Um, so the day after North Korea launched four missiles in the ocean a couple of days ago, America began shipping the first parts of the FAD, uh, FAD anti-missile system to South Korea, mm-hmm. which is kind of like a kinetic kinetic anti-missile ground-to-air kind of thing that like you shoot it and it shoots a missile that's flying towards a target or something. Yeah, I think I've seen it described as hitting a bullet with a bullet or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Pretty amazing. But um, I don't know how much it works, but anyway, China's mad as hell. And China has been retaliating in uh, economic sanctions before that. Not officially. Unofficially, they've been retaliating economically to South Korea. They, let's see, what have they done? They've started closing down certain travel airlines between certain cities in China and certain cities in Korea. They've discouraged people from, they've, they've canceled contracts with certain Korean dramas that are going to be brought to China. And those are really popular in China, apparently. Um, they discourage tourism to Korea. They're having people protest outside of Korean cosmetic shops in China and Lotte department store in China, which has like, I think it has 50 or 80 branches or something in China, and they're all being protested and stuff. Mm. And um, they're particularly mad at the Lotte group because Lotte was the ones that in Korea said, okay, we're going to give the land to the government that they need to place this on. Because local South Koreans had protested that they didn't want this radar thing put in their in their backyard, basically. Mm-hmm. Because they said, uh, first I think they said that there was a lot of there was kind of this wacky theory that the radar was going to mess with their planes or something. Or I don't really understand it, but they felt that there was some adverse health effects of having this radar near their homes or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if I fully bought that. It sounds kind of like a wacky idea that they got. Mm-hmm. But then they also said that they could be a target for a North Korean attack if they're if the same were used. But it's like, okay, but if 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 South Korea is using the FAD thing to shoot down North Korean missiles, it sounds like South Korea is already a target. It sounds like something bad is already happening. So mm-hmm. I don't know if I buy that. But <clears throat> so, anyways, they protested enough, and finally. The Lotte group agreed to host the missile anti-missile launchers on their own property or something. Mm-hmm. And so China's particularly mad. Lotte is a pretty big group over here. But, um, yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, the conservative administration, I think, has been kind of trying to rush through this FAD installation because left-wing Koreans tend to be against the FAD deployment and right-wing Koreans tend to support it. Hmm. And kind of confusing. I I don't know. 
I, I tend to hope that the left-wing Koreans win the next election, but at the same time, they do tend to seem to have like kind of an anti-American streak that's a little worrying. Hmm. And there may be some reasons for that, but but at the same time, they also seem that a lot of them seem to have a kind of a very kind of what's the word kind of a a view of North Korea that is very charitable. Hmm. Let's say, and I don't I don't think that they're being fully realistic about how disastrous North Korea is. And, and how much of a threat it really is. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that the I think with the this vote coming up a few days ago, and with North Korea doing the assassination and launching four missiles into the ocean, I think that the conservative acting president in Korea saw this as an opportunity to go ahead and begin installing this thing before any liberal president comes in and tries to not do it. I guess so. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see if a liberal president wins in two months and the bad thing has already been installed and Koreans have already suffered under two months of Chinese, you know, economic boycott or whatever, if he'll leave it in place or if he'll try to remove it. Mm-hmm. Something to watch. Anyway, yeah. yeah, I feel like I've been talking for a while, but yeah, that's kind of <laughs> a lot of what's going on in Korea right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, this is this is all happening at a very volatile time for all of Southeast Asia. Uh, I saw that Rex Tillerson actually is making his first official visit uh, to Asia, and he's not taking reporters with him. But that's another subject. But um, of course, there's uh, you know, there's, like you mentioned, with the North Korean situations heating up, with the firing the missiles into the sea. Um, it seems like maybe North Korea is isolating themselves further than they have been even in the past. Uh, do you see them being, you know, not as, I don't know, uh, amenable to their client states like China as they might have once been? Do you see them breaking off even more than they have in the past? What What do you see going forward with that? I don't know. I think it's, it's really, I think it's kind of hard to judge how much, control over them China really has, um, which is ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. It's kind of like the, the tail wagging the dog or something, if that's the case, because America could wipe the floor with North Korea. China could wipe the floor with North Korea. Japan could probably, well, I don't know, probably. They've reconstituted their military, but North Korea does have nuclear weapons, so I don't know. Um, South Korea... By themselves, I don't know if they could beat North Korea or not, but they might be able to. They have far fewer soldiers than North Korea does, but they have much higher technology, I think, although they don't have nuclear weapons or, as far as I know, they don't have nerve agents or things like that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I've heard that it wouldn't even take you know, nuclear weapons to, to really uh, you know, do some damage to South Korea. I mean, the, just the conventional weapons alone, I think, would be enough to, to really do some damage, right? Yeah, yeah. But again, this is about South Korea fighting North Korea by themselves, which they wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Although, I mean, this, and this is the thing. This is the thing. This is why, frankly, to go back to American politics for a minute, Donald Trump needs to just be impeached. They need to get him out of there. Because, well, he's, you know, beefing with CNN and, you know, arguing about whether Obama tapped his phone or whatever. But the world doesn't stop. You know, shit is still going on out here, and shit is going to spiral out of control in the world. I mean, like, there's a fucking power vacuum, and China's fucking with Korea, 
and you know North Korea is fucking with Korea, and North Korea is fucking with Malaysia, and Russia, God knows what the hell they're doing out there. But you know, like, well, Donald Trump is trying to like, you know, trying to figure out which way is up in the White House, and you know, uh, this is really, you know, this is the kind of stuff. I'm like, I'm out here living in this, and you know, probably nothing's going to happen, but. To say that this is, I would say this is the most unstable thing to do in this region since I've been here in 10 years, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, there have been times where North Korea attacked an island in South Korea or North Korea sank a current South Korean warship. Um, but this is the first time where South Korea doesn't have a clear president. Um, you know, America doesn't have a president who seems to know what's going on, who just seems to understand the world, who seems to be concerned with what's going on outside of, you know, uh, sound stages in New York City or whatever, recording <clears throat> shows or whatever. I mean, like, this is, a, you know, America has unclear leadership, South Korea has unclear leadership, China and Russia are reasserting themselves, and what the hell is America doing? You know? It's, you know, that's a, uh, it, it's exasperating. Mm-hmm. But what do you think? I mean, let's play that out. So, say Trump gets impeached and Pence is the new president, assuming that Pence isn't caught up in whatever got you know Trump impeached. Would you do you think Pence would deal with what's that? That whole thing is, I think that if Trump goes down, I think that everybody in that White House who's been connected to this whole Russia thing, and I think Pence probably has. I think, tried, I think we talked about it before. I think they've tried to shield him from this as much as possible and make mm-hmm. him seem like he's kind of like not really been on the Russia thing. But I have a feeling he, he knows what's been going on. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling. And, you know, uh, it's like, I don't think that, you know, the way our government is set up, it's worked for a really long time, but I don't think it's equipped to handle um, the levels of corruption we're looking at right now. And frankly, you know, the duplicity of all the congressmen and all the senators, Republicans, who are trying to protect Trump and not going to release his taxes and they're not going to question things and they want to investigate Obama or whatever for, you know, well, I, I don't know if they want to investigate Obama, but, you know, I've heard people saying, let's have an investigation, you know. Trump said this about Obama tapping Trump's phone, so let's just have an investigation and see what it finds. Um, I don't know, you know, what do you do when an entire party is more concerned with partisan politics than they are with treason um, and, you know, other secret powers undermining America's authority domestically by stealing an election, stealing a Supreme Court seat, stealing the presidency. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm not so sure the president should be the president. I'm not so sure the Vice president should get to be the president, and is it the speaker of the house after that, or is it the, the majority leader of the senate, or whatever? It's the uh, it's probably it's Paul Ryan after Pence, I believe. Yeah, mm. I'm not so sure. You know, if, if Paul Ryan's a scumbag and he's got terrible ideas, and everybody says he's like this wonder kid or something with the economy, but apparently he's not. But um. I think, you know, I think we can live with him. If he if he'd stayed on the never Trump train and he'd stuck to, you know, his morality or whatever at that point, 
I think we could live with him as a president if these two clowns are going to be impeached. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he's out there, you know, trying to cover for this guy and, you know, coming up with plausible liability and excuses so he can get his radical right-wing agenda pushed through, um, you know, I'm not so sure that any of these people belong anywhere near the presidency. Uh, so, you know, yeah, you know, for the day, something might change, but, um, you know, I don't think that our, uh, our succession or our, what do we call it, the, you know, the way that our government is set up to replace a criminal president is set up. I mean, it assumes that everybody around him in his own party is not also a criminal who's wrapped up in the same conspiracy, you know? Yeah. Well, the, I just looked it up. The order of succession goes vice president, which is Pence, Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan. Then it goes to the president pro tempore of the Senate, which is Orrin Hatch. And then it goes to Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson, Secretary of the Treasury, <laughs> on down. So, yeah, it's it's like Republican, Republican, Republican. <laughs> so, yeah. No, if, if a whole party's been co-opted like this, it is hard to see how the, you know, changing out one seat really fixes the problem if everyone's in denial. So. Yeah, in America, we solve our differences the dollar box. We don't have revolts. We do things by the books, you know. It's like, oh, well, uh, you know, the next seven people in line for the presidency are all fucking corrupt. <laughs> and <laughs> in league with the same guy. <laughs> the system is not working right now. You know, something's wrong. Yeah. Um, so, hopefully, I hope the system still works well enough that we at least get Trump out. But, yeah. Well, I think I think the only way I can see the Republicans turning on Trump is if it makes it, you know, if it's so undeniable that they can't, you know, support him anymore and they got to decide if they're going to go down with this guy or not. Um, you know, you kind of saw a little bit echoes with that with uh, with Flynn and then also uh, to a lesser degree, I guess, since he's still in the job, uh, you know, with the uh, what's his name? Jeffrey Beau- Jefferson Beauregard Sessions the third or second or whatever his name is, um, you know, with the uh, Russia thing, you know, he did recuse himself, even though Trump told him not to, because the pressure was so great. So I think if pressure is applied, Republicans will, you know, bow to, to that, because really the only reason that they're not revolting against Trump, they don't really like him. Probably they just are afraid of their base more than anything. So if the base becomes uh, properly enraged, uh, you know, that they're probably going to dump him in a second. So that's the only way I can really see, because I mean, they seem like we've talked about before, they seem to be totally in denial, totally willing to go down this this path, even though they know that he's been, you know, co-opted in this way, so. Not a profile in courage for any of them. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you can say what you want about, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, you know, uh, John McCain or uh, down there in South Carolina, Lindsey Graham. I mean, those guys, I mean, I mean, they've got their own problems with Trump from before, probably, but mm-hmm. at least they're, you know, still calling a few balls and a few strikes, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's more than you can say about most Republicans, so. <laughs> but I, I don't think it's even a matter of, um, you know, them responding to what, the, what their constituencies want. Um, I think they're willing to uh, endure um, criticism from their base and so forth and so, so on as long as they can try to get some of their radical agenda through and get it signed by the president and stuff, I think that that's what they want to do while there's 
you know, this guy, I mean, what, what do you think about the chances of him getting impeached at some point? Like we, we've talked about six months. We've talked about two years. We've talked about, you know, three years or whatever. I think it could happen any time because I think something, the world's a fucking powder keg right now. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think one thing to, to think about, I mean, there's a lot of, of course, Nixon comparisons floating around these days because this is really the only vocabulary we have to talk about a situation like this. I know. Obama, Obama hacked my phones, okay? He's a lot like Nixon. Everybody's saying it. <laughs> Oh, also, you know, it, it, he's, he's like the master of, of projection, because if you look back, uh, I'll have to send you the story, but he apparently has all the phones in Mar-a-Lago tapped, um, and he can listen to anyone's phone calls anytime, so it's like he, he's the master of projecting his own things he's doing onto other people, so if anyone's tapping phones, it's probably Trump, you know? So, but um, but anyway, back to the, the Watergate comparison and the Nixon thing. Well, Watergate moved pretty slow and yeah yeah i mean this is moving way faster than that i mean it doesn't feel like it because you're right it's it it, you know the world is is going crazy and we got this guy in office and and we really shouldn't be and we've 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 got to get him out of there and all this but you know it is you know that is one heartening thing is it does seem to be moving kind of quickly um and uh, i don't know if you want to get into this yet but that alpha bank thing is not going away and that is definitely part of you know what is fueling all this and that was part of the dossier and we talked about that slate article and everything and i sent you that cnn thing but it's it's definitely uh you know it's it's picking up speed and, and with every new revelation it, it just blows it a little more open so yeah yeah well we've got you know 30 to 40 percent of the country that doesn't care mm-hmm. and something more than 50 percent of the the uh, government doesn't care <laughs> yeah yeah I don't I don't know it's a fucking mess but yeah I mean yeah the Russia thing everything that he does everything that he tries to I'm so you know the media I mean the thing with the tweet about Obama tapping his phones that should have been a one day story you know mm-hmm. but the media is still talking about it like oh should there be an investigation I don't know you know I don't calling for an investigation just to see you know that one woman, what's her name, uh, Huckabee's daughter or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, she was on the Sunday shows or something, and she said, well, you know, if this happened, and the woman's like, yes, 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 <laughs> there's no evidence except for Donald Trump's tweet that it did happen. Mm-hmm. And he's not providing any extra evidence. He's like, well, that's why we need an investigation. That's like, the White House has not appeared before cameras to explain what the president meant until now. So let's bring in here live White House spokesperson Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Thanks for joining us this morning. Good morning. These are extremely serious charges the president is making. Where is he getting this information? Look, I think there have been quite a few reports. I know that uh, Jonathan and others uh, earlier in the program mentioned that it was all conservative media, but that's frankly not true. The New York Times, BBC uh, have also talked about and reported on the potential of this having had happened. I think the bigger thing is let's find out. Let's have an investigation. If they're going to investigate Russia ties, let's include this as part of it. And so that's what we're asking. Was the principal source the Breitbart story, which links to the New York Times, but the New York Times doesn't say anything definitive. Donald Trump does. There is nothing equivocating about what he says. I just found out that Obama had my wires tapped. That's not looking into something. 
he says it happened. Look, I think the bigger thing is uh, you guys are always telling us to take the media seriously. Well, we are today. We're taking the reports that places like the New York Times, Fox News, BBC, multiple outlets have reported this. All we're saying is let's take a closer look. Let's look into this. If this happened, if this is accurate, this is the biggest but, but overreach and the biggest scandal. This. The president of the United States is accusing the former president of wiretapping him. I think that this is, again, something that if this happened, Martha, if, this if, would... If, if, if. <laughs> I, I agree. Why that, is the president saying it did happen? Look, I think he is going off of information that he's seen that has led him to believe uh, that this is a very real potential. And if it is, this is the greatest overreach and the greatest abuse of power that I think we've ever seen in a huge attack on democracy itself. And the American people have a right to know if this took place. Oh, oh, okay. The president, let me say again, the president said it did take place. Why does he believe these articles that, that you say you cite, and, the, and I'm saying they are not definitive, the Breitbart brings them all together, and uh, Heat Street, they have two sources with links to the counterintelligence community. That's it. Anonymous sources. The president constantly says he doesn't like anonymous sources and he doesn't like leakers. I love how anonymous sources don't count when it's something that's positive in this administration it's, and against the former one. You so guys use anonymous bar, sources every single day. But it is the president. Yes, yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. But, but now the that there are new anonymous this. sources, so, it doesn't but, matter. But what's the bar there? What, what does the president believe? Look, I, I think he's made very clear what he believes and he's asking. Uh, that we get down to the bottom of this. Let's get the truth here. Let's find out. I think the bigger story uh, isn't who reported it, but is it true? And I think the American people have a right to know if this happened, because if it did, again, this is the largest abuse of power that I think we've ever seen. Okay, okay. let me just say one more time. The president said, I'd bet a good lawyer could make a great case out of the fact that President Obama was tapping my phones in October. So the president believes it is true? I, I would uh, say that his tweet speaks for itself there. Uh, the Washington Post says this morning that senior U.S. officials with knowledge of wide-ranging federal investigation into Russian interference in the election said there had been no wiretap. Well, they've also said there's no evidence of any wrongdoing by the Trump administration or the Trump campaign uh, in coordination, but that doesn't seem to matter to the media. That point gets continued to be ignored over and over again. We've been on this for six months, and you guys continue to ignore that and continue to bring up the investigation. All we're asking is that we have the same level of look into uh, the potential that the Obama administration wiretaps Trump Tower. The Obama, President Obama through a spokesman, denied any direct involvement. Does President Trump not believe him? Well, I, I think, um, you know, they don't have the best track record. They said they had a cardinal rule. Well, frankly, that's just not true. The president himself got directly involved when it came to the email scandal with Hillary Clinton. Uh, so do you attorney, not believe him? The you attorney do not believe General him when he says this doesn't happen? privately and secretly with Bill Clinton during the middle of an investigation. So to pretend like this is a uh, very clean and credible source uh, coming from... I'm sorry, I'm just not buying that. Do you believe there was a FISA order, even if... President Obama didn't order it? I think there certainly could have been, uh, and it sounds like there's something that we should look into and, and verify. Is the I Trump think we administration looking now? 
you know, that's not that's a, a little above my pay grade. I think that that's something that White House counsel would have to answer. Um, but I do think that we owe it to the American people to look into it. If there is an order, there would have to be probable cause shown before it was granted, evidence of wrongdoing. So isn't the president, by saying this indeed happened, confirming that the investigation had enough evidence to get a FISA order? Look, I'm not sure uh, if, if they can create wrongdoing. They've certainly been trying to make the case for it. The FBI has said that this is BS. The House Intelligence Chair has said that there's no evidence of it. But I don't know that that would indicate that intelligence services wouldn't have attempted to see if there was something at that point in October. Uh, and, and a FISA court order wiretap is highly classified information. Why is it acceptable for the president to just tweet something like that out? I, I don't think he's tweeting out classified information. He's talking about could this have happened? Did this happen? These are reports that you guys in happen. the media Once have again, been reporting. Once again, he said it did happen. Everybody acts like President Trump is the one that came up with this idea and just threw it out there. He's, there are multiple news outlets that have reported this, and all we're asking is that we uh, get the same level of look into the Obama administration and the potential that they had for a complete abuse of power uh, that they've been claiming that we have done over the last six months, and time and time again, it's been said, there's no evidence there was wrongdoing. The FBI says this is BS, yet you guys continue to hammer and hammer of some false idea and false narrative that there's something there when, frankly, there just isn't. I, I just want to say, Donald Trump started this on Saturday morning talking about this. I hardly say he started it Pre when there President were multiple Trump is news reports Let's talk prior about this. to that. Many months ago, President Trump has consistently complained about leakers. If these stories are true, if Heat Street, Heat Street has two sources they say are linked to counterintelligence, are you going to go after those leakers? Look, we take every leak seriously in the White House, whether it is uh, something that helps us or not. We cannot have people leaking classified information at any level, and we certainly take that very seriously and would not ignore that. Have you ever heard these allegations from the president before? Uh, I have not had a conversation with him about these personally before. Had anyone? Had any? Had he consulted anyone before he tweeted that he was going to put these explosive allegations out? Uh, I, I can't speak 100 uh, percent whether he did or not. I'm, I'm not sure. Couldn't the president declassify these things if he wanted to? Uh, I, you know, I don't think that's necessary. I think what is necessary is Congress doing its job. Let them investigate this. Let them do exactly what they've done on our end and see whether there's something there. And I think that there is a lot of reporting that indicates that there certainly is. Do you think there should be a special prosecutor to look at this? I don't think we're there yet. I think we need to let Congress do their job. I think that's where we need to start. Um, and again, um, I, I think that's the first place to go and we see what happens from there. Can you tell us anything about the meeting that President Trump had last night with Attorney General Jeff Sessions? Did they meet? Uh, I believe they had dinner, yes, they did. And the subject? I, look, he's the Attorney General of the United States. Um, Who accused himself He's one week. of the cabinet members for the president. We have a lot of activity ongoing, uh, potential for an EO coming out at some point that would certainly involve uh, the Attorney General, and I would imagine that came up during dinner. Does the president still believe Attorney General Sessions should not have recused himself? Look, the, the president believes that Jeff Sessions is a good man and that he didn't do anything wrong. Uh, so I certainly feel that he didn't feel it was necessary, but he also is very supportive of the attorney general. 
And, and did the White House ask Attorney General Sessions specifically not to recuse himself? Look, the White House was not involved in the details of, you know, what that decision process looked like. I know the Attorney General met with the Ethics Council at the Department of Justice, and he made that decision internally uh, and going through that process, not by direction of the White House. And, and Sarah, I just, I just want to go back again to the President's tweet one more time. And Sean Spicer tweeting today as well, reports concerning potentially politically motivated investigations immediately ahead of the 2016 election are very troubling. It sounds like the White House is really doubling down on what President Trump As we should, says Martha. Happened. If this happened, once again, this would be the greatest abuse of power and overreach that's probably ever occurred in the executive branch. But what it's about something that these certainly deserves you, you just to keep be saying looked at. If if, if the President of the United States said it was a fact, he didn't say, I read a story in Breitbart or the New York Times or wherever else. He said, just found out that Obama had my wires tapped in Trump Tower. That's not an if. <laughs> Look, I, I, I will let the President speak for himself, but in terms of where we are in the White House, our ask... You're his spokesperson. <laughs> And I'm speaking about it right now. But but you're you're backing off of it. You're backing off. How of am what I backing President off Trump of it said. while I'm saying that I because think that this happened, if. and I think that the American people have a right to know, and I think that we should get definitive answers. I think we need to put out hard facts that show that this happened. Okay, that's what President Trump was clearly doing in those tr uh, in those uh, tweets. Thank you very much for you joining bet. us this Thank morning, you, Sarah. Appreciate it. You guys are doing anything you can to get away from the Russia thing, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're willing to do anything to try to... I mean, and that, that's why you saw the outbursts that you do. Anytime that he's in a corner, he lashes out, and he really can't operate except with uh, an enemy. And his base is pretty much willing to believe anything about Obama. You know, I mean, they're pretty much pre-programmed to do that. So if you're going to throw shade on Obama, they're willing and able to lap that up immediately um, without question. So, yeah. And also, you know, I've heard people try to, to equivocate and say, oh, maybe when he said Obama, he meant the Justice Department under Obama. <laughs> Uh, you know, but why are we trying to parse this? Like he said, Obama, he meant Obama. He was basing this on a Breitbart article. He half remembered, you know, this is all like hearsay in, in his uh, fevered brain. And we're trying to like make sense of it retroactively. And it's like, you're, you're trying to reverse engineer some sort of sense out of this. And there is no sense to be made other than, you know, he's, you know, lashing out like a two year old. So, yeah. And I mean, and people have got to think about how dangerous that is to have a president of America who can't operate unless he thinks he's got enemies somewhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's bad enough and dangerous enough on a domestic level, but on an international level, I mean, just think about that. <laughs> well, yeah, anyway, that's that's all going on. Things are going <laughs> on. <laughs> so, I, yeah, frankly, I mean, today I meant to, meant to brush up on what's going on in America today, but it's been so crazy over here that I wasn't able to really read much in American news today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, anything else? What else is going on? Oh, uh, let's see. Of course, we got uh, Trump's cabinet picks through. Uh, Rick Perry's now in charge of the nukes, so we can all sleep safely at night knowing that 
that's uh, that's uh, the case, especially since that was one of the he couldn't even remember that was one of the departments he wanted to get rid of, and I don't I don't remember if that was the one he couldn't think of or if it was another one, but the man who said he wanted to get rid of the Department of Energy is now in charge of it. So, um, you know. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is we better have a plan in place that Americans can get their hands around. And that's the reason my flat tax is the only one of all the folks, these good folks on the stage. It balances the budget in 2020. It does the things to the regulatory climate that has to happen. And I will tell you, it's three agencies of government when I get there that are gone. Commerce, education, and the, um, uh, what's the third one there? Let's see. <laughs> Oh, five. Okay. So commerce, education, and uh, the um, uh, EPA. EPA. There you go. No, again. Let's stop. Let's stop deposition. Seriously? Is EPA the one you were talking about? No, sir. No, sir. We were talking about the. Um, Agencies of government. EPA needs to be rebuilt. But you can't. But you can't name the third one. The third agency of government. I would. I would do away with the education. Uh, the uh, <laughs> commerce. I, I, commerce, and let's see, I can't. The third one, I can't. Sorry. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. Doesn't he still have some active lawsuits against it or something? One of those guys who's in charge of a department. He's got he's got ongoing litigation mm-hmm. against the department he's in charge of. <laughs> I mean, that's insane, right? Yes. That's, that's like that's not normal. I mean, like. Oh, I have a lawsuit against this organization. Oh, now I'm leading the organization. I wonder how the lawsuit's going to go. I wonder what I'll direct the, my company's, my organization's lawyers to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, that that's going on. Uh, Betsy DeVos, the uh, education uh, secretary, who is only in there because Pence broke the tie and uh, broke the fifty-fifty in the Senate, uh, says that uh, black people. Uh, Bro, or they, they were pioneers of school choice when they were in segregation, so that was fun. Um, and uh, Ben Carson said, oh, yeah. Ben Carson <laughs> said, uh, involuntary immigrants. <laughs> well, that was even the double down. Like he, he that was after yeah. he was questioned by it. Now that, that was his. He what he didn't change it. It's like, wow, you're gonna stick with this. Go through that museum on Ellis Island and look at the pictures of all those people who are hanging up there from every part of the world, many of them carrying all their earthly belongings in their two hands, not knowing what this country held for them. Look at the determination in their eyes. People who work not five days a week, but six or seven days a week, not eight hours a day, but 10, 12, 16 hours a day, no such thing as a minimum wage. They work not for themselves but for their sons and their daughters and their grandsons and their granddaughters that they might have an opportunity in this land. That's what America is about. A land of dreams and opportunity. There were other immigrants who came here in the bottom of slave ships, worked even longer, even harder for less. But they too had a dream that one day their sons, daughters, grandsons, granddaughters, great-grandsons, great-granddaughters might pursue prosperity and happiness in this land. And do you know of all the nations in the world, 
this one. The United States of America. It's the only one big enough and great enough to allow all those people to realize their dream. And this is our, our opportunity to enhance that dream. <laughs> this is the, you know, this is 1984. This is the Nazis. This is what they do. They pervert the language, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> yeah. up, war is peace. Um, slaves are involuntary immigrants. Yeah, exactly. Just, you know, they're not thinking about themselves. They're thinking about their grandchildren's dream. <laughs> That's what they're being enslaved for. Yeah, exactly. And, <laughs> they've, you know, got a, they've got a happy vision for the future of uh, America. <laughs> and, and, and Frederick Douglass is out there doing great work, uh, you know, being recognized more and more, I notice. Uh, we have a museum in the National Mall where people can learn about Reverend King, so many other things. Frederick Doug- Douglass is an example of somebody who's done an amazing job and is being recognized more and more, I notice. Harriet Tubman, Rosa Parks, and millions more black Americans who made America what it is today. Big impact. I'm proud to honor this heritage, and we'll be honoring it more and more. The folks at the table, in almost all cases, have been great friends and supporters. Mm. Yeah, he's doing real good things. I hear everybody's talking about him now. (laughs) So, yeah, it's hopeless. These people, they don't know history. They don't know international stuff. (laughs) They have a vague sense that they hate Iran. Um, Wait till they find out that Iran and uh, Russia are friends. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the that's the that's the circle I can't square with this whole thing yet. Maybe they just don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, are they playing eight dimensional chess? And it's like, no. I, I think you can attribute a lot of this to just sheer ignorance. I don't. I don't think you can. You can say this is some grand scheme in in, in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. There was like, sure some planning around the edges, but my, you know, this the, a lot of this stuff is just buffoonery. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. If, if I'm Donald Trump, I bomb Iran, <laughs> and then I say, how could I be an agent of the Russians when I just bombed their ally? <laughs> yeah, see, you know, it, it's so brilliant. <laughs> it, I mean, it, it, it's probably a wrong decision made out of stupidity, but he could still like make it seem like, oh yeah, yeah, that's right, that is kind of a contradiction. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, no, I've I've heard rumblings that uh, Russian state media has kind of been, uh, you know, turning on Trump a little bit, and that this apparently is evidence to certain, uh, you know, d- dumb people that uh, that there was no collusion with the Russians, and and I think that uh, kind of discounts the fact that Russia never really cared about Donald Trump to begin with. All they were trying to do is hurt Hillary Clinton on her way into the office. I don't think they expected this to work out exactly like this. So I think that you know any anyone saying that that means that nothing was happening is is uh, you know not seeing the, the bigger picture here. So yeah, well they don't want to see it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I mean, what I, I think I've seen something that like six to eight Russian diplomats have died in the last since the inauguration, since the election or something. And, like, you know, one person died in the backseat of his car, and they said it was, like, a heart attack or something. Mm-hmm. Somebody died in New York. I, I don't know how. Um, I, uh, frankly, I, don't, I, I wish I had the 
facts in front of me, but yeah, there's something going on where certain people in the Russian government are dying. Mm-hmm. Well, and certain people that were named in the Steele report uh, by name, or you know, that we can we can conclude that were were the people were the contacts or whatever. So, you know, I mean, if if there is some you know collusion uh, on the American end, telling who worked with who, then I think the Russians are trying to clean house a little bit. You know what I mean? So yeah, I think a couple of podcasts ago. I mentioned that it's you know it's probably very dangerous for certain Russian prostitutes right now. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the Russian prostitutes were not the only ones. Who probably <laughs> <did it>. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. I I, I think uh, I think I saw was it Maxine Waters is that her name? Mm-hmm. And she's a like a congressperson or something from out in California, maybe mm-hmm. somewhere. She said today that uh, the P-tape is real. Mm-hmm. And then, like, later she sort of walked it back and said, like, well, actually, I'm not 100% sure it's real, but... Oh, I think it should be uh, taken a look at. I think they should really read it, understand it, analyze it, and determine what's fact, what may not be fact. We already know that the part about uh, the coverage that they have on him uh, with sex actions uh, is supposed to be true. Uh, They've said that that's absolutely true. Some other things they kind of allude to. Yes, I think he should go into that dossier and see what's there. You say you know you think them to be true. Um, how are we all going to find out what is true and what isn't true? I mean, does it help that you think so? Because unless you have information that we don't have, that's an allegation. Yeah, but, but, but you understand that I am saying the investigations must be done. The drilling down must be done. We must get to the facts of what it has been about. Uh, I don't think you can do the impeachment just because I think or others think, but I think that if we do the investigations, that we will find the connections, and I do think uh, that impeachment will be necessary. I'm like, why'd you walk it back? Just just throw it out there, just say it, and let them disprove it. That's that's the name of the game these days. That's what yeah, they're doing. Exactly. Obama, Obama hacked my phone. He tapped my phone. Do you have any proof? No, but... Just investigate it, and then you'll find your proof. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, no, he, yeah, he peed on those women. They, they peed on him. Something happened. <laughs> I, you know, and part of me thinks like, you know, she's got access to the extra secret shit. She probably, you know, <laughs> wouldn't it be a damn thing if we like there's a Freedom of Information Act or something, and like. We find out that everybody in Congress has seen the PP video already. Like, it's already out there somewhere, and they're just, like, trying to cover it up so the American people don't have to, you know. You know, 20 years ago, parents had to explain to people like us, our age, I guess, what a blowjob was. <laughs> <laughs> and parents don't want to rehash of that with golden showers right now. You're going to look back on the days of, of cigars and dresses as the salad days after the like... <laughs> Yeah, it was a more innocent time. Really. <laughs> exactly. Or, or having to explain to your parents what water sports are on the other end of it, you know what I mean? <laughs> Sometimes when a man hates a woman. <laughs> and really he hates himself, but let's not get into that. When he hates a woman. <laughs> <laughs> it's a... Uh, I, I think I saw something that Dan Savage said today or something, and he said, like, he wants the liberals to stop, like, and, and this is something that really pisses me off, too, frankly. 
or liberals like always try to like latch onto some woman within Trump's orbit and say she's like this victim or something. They're like, oh, poor Ivanka, she tries to be the voice of reason, or you know, poor Melania, she's stuck there with this plot of a husband who doesn't respect her and treats her the wrong way. It's like these women are not victims. <laughs> they signed up for this, or they are enabling this, mm-hmm. or, you know, or they're benefiting from this. This is not like. Yeah, and I think uh, what was it? Um, I think Dan Savage said something like, uh, "I hate Melania Trump," and he's like, and, "And I'm in good company. I'm not the only one who hates her because her husband is misogynist, so he probably hates her too." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whoa! Yeah, I heard that podcast. I want to open today's show talking about someone I hate, but. God knows there's enough hate in the world, and I don't want to add to the sum total, but forgive me, I have got to get this off my chest. I fucking hate Melania Trump. I'm not alone in loathing Donald Trump's third wife. She's married to a misogynist, after all. Odds are good her husband hates her, too. But there are some folks on the left who not only don't hate her, they view her as some sort of sympathetic figure. The pretty princess in the tower, locked up by the orange ogre with the bad comb over. A princess desperately blinking out distress signals during swearing-in ceremonies and inaugural balls. I think we can credit that undeservedly charitable view of our new first lady to our propensity as humans, as a species, to think that the insides of pretty people match the outsides of pretty people. And that may be true sometimes, but only randomly and everyone always beware of confirmation bias. And you know what? It's definitely not true in this case. Mrs. Trump, Melania Trump, is as ugly on the inside as she is pretty on the outside. She is a birther. Pretty Melania went on TV to push the same racist conspiracy theories about Barack Obama that her husband did. She's an immigrant who doesn't give a shit about the plight of other immigrants. She's famously a plagiarist, and she's brought ruinous lawsuits against journalists and bloggers, accusing them, amongst other things, of potentially interfering with her ability to profit off her role as first lady. I don't know if you can impeach a first lady or how that would work, but I do know that we would have found out pretty fucking fast if Michelle Obama had said the same during her husband's presidency. I had plenty of reasons to hate Melania before reading this by Kira Lerner at Think Progress. First Lady Melania Trump paid a visit to Children's Hospital in Washington, D.C. on Wednesday, where she called on the power of nature to heal seriously ill children. As her husband plans to repeal the Affordable Care Act, a move that could strip health care coverage from up to 13 million children, Melania Trump talked with patients and their families about how the gift of nature and the beauties of the outdoors can improve their health. You know what else improves the health of children? Medical care. And you know what makes it possible for children in the United States to access medical care? Not citizenship or residency or human decency. No, health insurance makes it possible for children to access medical care around here. Zooming back to a pre-Obamacare study, in 2009, Harvard University found that 45,000 Americans died annually because they lacked health care coverage. That's 15 9-11s every year. That number included, of course, thousands of children, children dying every year for lack of access to health care. Kids like Diamante Driver, who was a 12-year-old boy who died in 2007 because his family didn't have health insurance. The headlines read, toothache leads to boy's death, but it was really the lack of access to medical care that killed Diamante. Fewer kids are dying these days thanks to Obamacare, but Donald Trump and the GOP Congress are going to fix that. 
But even if it worked the way Melania Trump would like us to believe it does, even if nature and the outdoors were all it took to save Diamante's life or cure pediatric cancers, Melania might want to have a word with her loathsome husband about his environmental agenda. Her husband, while she's touting the benefits of the great outdoors, the health benefits of the great outdoors, her husband plans to gut the Environmental Protection Agency. Her husband has already signed executive orders rolling back clean air and water regulations. Her husband scrapped a rule that prevented coal companies from dumping toxic wastes into rivers and streams. So kids in coal country might not want to go swimming. Kids all over the country are going to have to avoid beaches and lakes and rivers too since Trump is zeroing out water quality testing. Because raw sewage and water can't hurt you kids if you don't know it's there. Her husband is also rolling back fuel economy standards, food safety standards, rules against pumping dangerous gases into the air like methane and sulfur, and scrapping good neighbor rules that regulate pollutants that float from one state to another. So, yeah, if you think the great outdoors can take the place of healthcare, you should be doing everything you can to protect the environment. And if you think we can't afford to protect the environment, you should be doing everything you can to make sure all people have access to health care, that everyone has health insurance. Because children who drink polluted water and breathe polluted air and swim in polluted rivers are going to require more health care. But you know what? It's really not one or the other. We can have clean air and water and access to health care too. But we're not going to have either, thanks to loathsome Melania Trump's loathsome husband. Because, I mean, she did, you know, if you want to go back to the tapes, she pushed the same birther stuff that her husband did. Is he really running for the presidency or is this a big publicity stunt? The wife knows the truth. What is it? Look, he doesn't need the publicity stunt. No. He's successful. He will make a decision prior to June. And he's very passionate about the country. He's one of the, the best, the most brilliant negotiator mind out there, like genius's mind out there. Mm -hmm. And he wants to see that country one of the best, the best in the world. Uh -huh. We all know the troubles in America nowadays. Yeah. And he wants to see everybody doing well. The, the issue is about bringing jobs back, bringing jobs to the country. Right. And uh, he's very passionate about that. And I see that people really like it. They like it what he's saying. He's saying the way it is. He's not a politician goes in the circles around and around and just to talk. No, he's very he's direct. The, he's very direct. He's very he direct. will say what he thinks. And, you know, he gets the job done. Mm -hmm. He did very well, successfully with his firm, with his organization. Yes. But, you know, you, I don't know what skeletons he has in his closet, but everybody gets vetted when they're going to be president. You know what that means, vetted? Mm -hmm. They're mm -hmm. going to look into everything. He's had they a will. few wives. He's had financial yes. difficulties. All of that's going to come out. How do you feel about that? Well, that's part of it. Yeah. If he decided to run, he knows that's part of it. And, uh, you know, he's... Uh, he's very passionate about the country, mm -hmm. and he's taking a very serious look at it. But and what is this with the birth certificate obsession? Did he ask to see yours when you met him? Well, I, mean I needed to put mine anyway, because if you want to become an American citizen, you need to put the, Amer the birth certificate. Right. I have a birth certificate from Slovenia. Mm -hmm. And you don't, do you want to see... President Obama birth certificate I've seen or not? It. I've seen it. It's, it's not the birth certificate. Well, it's a, it's a certificate of live birth, right, which they but, give. But Melania, that if they if he insists on what he's saying, then no one in Hawaii can ever run for president because they all get the same live birth certificate. 
Well, but they need Bette to have... Bette Midler is finished, for example. <laughs> <laughs> they need to have, and in one way, it will be very easy if President Obama just show it. And because but he it's does. not only it's not only Donald <laughs> who wants to see it. It's American people who voted for him and who didn't vote it for him. They want to see that. But it, it's on display in Chicago. We've seen it on the internet. We've seen it. It's it's not the same as yours, but, but it's it, a certificate of live birth. Well, I uh, we feel it's it's different than you know birth certificate. All right. Well, I think you should give it up at this point. Well, it's point. not. It's the it's not him that it's bringing up. It's the media all the time, all the time. His points are really about bringing back the jobs, economy, mm. um, uh, health care, all the stuff. But you know they they leech on that one issue and they're going on and on and on. Because they don't. Because they think that he's being obsessive about it and no, that it's. No, he's not. He's more obsessed about no I would not say obsessed he's very passionate about the country to doing well mm -hmm. and to you know to be what it was once before because can you imagine next generation the children our children how they will do in the it's just going down 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 well we were doing great during the Clinton administration and then Correct. somebody came in I'm not saying mm -hmm. who uh, you know, and she, you know, also is, she's going around to these elementary schools talking about, we need to let the power of nature heal us. And it's like, well, now that Scott Pruitt's in charge of the EPA, he doesn't even believe in climate change. I don't know how that's going to work, but okay. Um, you know. <laughs> yeah. I saw somebody at the EPA today said that CO2 levels have nothing to do with climate change or something. Yeah, exactly. Insane. Do you believe that it's been proven that CO2 is the primary control knob for climate? Do you believe that? No, I, no, I think that, that measuring with precision uh, human activity on the climate is something very challenging to do, and there's tre tremendous disagreement about the, the degree of impact. Uh, so, so no, I would not agree uh, that it's a primary contributor uh, to, the, to the global warming that we see. Okay. All right. But we don't know that yet. As far as we, we need, to, we need to continue the debate and to continue the review and the analysis. It's 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 a. I agree. When I hear the science is settled, it's like I, I never heard that science actually gotten to a point where it was. That's that's the whole point of science is that uh, you keep asking questions, you keep asking questions. But I don't want to be called a denier. So uh, you know, it scares me. It's it's a terrible thing to be called. Anyway, Administrator Pruitt, I know you don't want to be called that either. Um, Thanks for being with us this morning. I appreciate it. Thank, thank, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I saw something where, God, what was it? Uh, I don't know. Somebody else did something that was ironically funny because it's like the exact opposite of the mission statement of their, their organization they're heading, mm -hmm. which is all Steve Bannon's plan, right? He yep. said something like he wants to destroy the institutions, and that's why they're putting these other people there. Mm-hmm. I think if you look at the lines of work, I, I kind of break it out into three verticals or three buckets. The first is kind of national security and sovereignty, and that's your intelligence, the Defense right. Department, Homeland Security. The second line of work is what I refer to as economic nationalism, and that is uh, Wilbur Ross at Commerce, Steve Mnuchin at Treasury, Lighthizer at, uh, at Trade, uh, Peter Navarro, Stephen Miller, these people that are rethinking how we're going to re reconstruct the, uh, our trade arrangements around the world. The third, broadly, line of work is what is deconstruction of the administrative state. And if you, so I think, I think, I think the three most important things, I think one of the most pivotal uh, moments in modern American history was his immediate withdrawal from TPP. That got us out of a, got us out of a trade deal and let our sovereignty come back to ourselves. 
the people, the mainstream media don't get this, but we're already working in consultation with the Hill. People are starting to think through a whole raft of amazing and innovative bilateral relationships, bilateral trading relationships with people that will reposition America in the world as a, as a fair trading nation and start to bring jobs, high value added manufacturing jobs back to the United States of America. On the, on the, uh, on the national security part, it was certainly the first, I think the first two EOs that you've started to see implemented here of the last couple of days under General Kelly, and that is the rule of law is going to exist when you talk about our sovereignty and you talk about immigration. General Kelly and Attorney General uh, Sessions are adamant, you know, that, and you're going to start to see, I think with the defense budget we're going to talk about next week when we bring the budget out, and also with uh, certain things about the, the plan on ISIS and, and what General Mattis and these guys think, I think you'll start to see the other part of that. But the third, this regulation, you know, oh, yeah. every business leader we've had in is right. saying not just taxes, but it is, right. uh, it is also the regulation. And I think the consistent, if you look at these cabinet appointees, they were selected for a reason, and that is the deconstruction. The way the progressive left runs is if they can't get it passed, they're just going to put it in some sort of regulation in, a, uh, in an agency. That's all going to be deconstructed, and I think that that's why this regulatory thing is so important. We had this is not a this is not a conspiracy theory. This is what they're trying to do. Yeah. Um, what was it? Somebody somebody in Congress was trying to explain insurance companies, and they said something like, um, "Why should men have to pay for women getting yeah. prenatal care or something?" Mm -hmm. It's like, I just like to say to our, our friend from Oklahoma, none of us think this bill is perfect. I, I've never heard a single Democrat say that this bill was perfect. We we knew that it needed work, and we wanted for the last seven years to work with Republicans to try to improve this bill. You guys weren't very interested in that. I'm not sure what the gentleman is talking about when he talks about mandates. What mandate in the Obamacare bill does he take issue with? Certainly not with pre-existing conditions or caps on benefits or letting your child stay on the policy to 26. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm curious, what is it we're mandating? Would the gentleman you, yield? Yeah, sure. What about men having to purchase prenatal care. I'm just, is that not correct? Reclaiming my time. And should they? Reclaiming my time. Whoa, 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 There's no whoa, such whoa. thing as a la carte. Regular order. Regular. There's no such thing as a la carte insurance, John. You don't, you don't get the... That's the point. That's say, the point. That. We want the consumer to be able to go to the insurance market and be able to you negotiate tell, on a plan. Reclaiming my time. Whoa, you tell whoa. me what insurance company will do that. There isn't a single insurance time. company in the world the, the that does that, John. Time. The so gentle you're talking about something that doesn't exist. Um... I don't know. What can you even say to that? You know, yeah, women are stuck with the pregnancy, but uh, it takes two to tango. And, uh, you know, the idea of insurance is that everybody pays in and different people have different problems. Like, why should I pay for your uh, heart disease medication? Why should I pay for your Viagra? Why should I pay for your, you know, whatever? I mean, like, why should anybody pay for anybody else's things? Like, yeah. Well, yeah. I even have insurance. <laughs>
Right, exactly. Well, I mean, if you want to get down to it, I mean, th- this really kind of explains the heart-heartedness of the, uh, you know, the conservative movement. Basically, you know, I don't know if you saw the Jason Chaffetz quote where he was talking about uh, they were trying to, you know, sell this uh, ridiculous health care plan, which uh, they've been trying to push through Congress without even getting the CBO to look at it. Um, you know, they, they, he's like, oh, you know, don't buy a, a new iPhone and you'll you'll be fine. It's like... Uh, do you- like what you've seen? I do. I do like what I see. Look, we campaigned on this. We assured the American people that if you put Republicans in charge, we would fix what is in a death spiral. The premiums are going up, I think, 25% on average across the board in Arizona. Some of them are as close to 100%. Deductibles have gone up. Choice has gone down. A third, almost one third of the counties in this country have only one choice. And so, We've got to save uh, health care in this country for the American people, and they elected us to, to solve and ta- tackle difficult problems. Some of the experts who've looked at the Republican replacement plan see problems with it. Here's the Kaiser Foundation, what they say about it yesterday. With Medicaid reductions and smaller tax credits, this bill would clearly result in fewer people insured than under the Affordable Care Act. The House GOP proposal seeks to reduce what the federal government spends on care, and that inevitably means more people uninsured. Does that worry you? Uh, we're always worried, but what we want to do is make sure that people have access to the quality health care that they want. This does push it more out of Washington, D.C. and back to the American people. It does align financial incentives, particularly through the health savings accounts. It does uh, limit and cap what we're doing with the states, but gives them more flexibility. Which is what we heard the governors who were in town literally uh, last week, they told us we want more flexibility. So there's a lot to like about this. And you know what I really like about it? We're going to do it in an open and transparent uh, way. Unlike what the Democrats did with the Affordable Care Act, where they slammed it through in less than 24 hours, yeah. it's going to go through a markup. You've got two committees of jurisdiction that will offer amendments, and we'll have this debate over the next several weeks. What if it leaves lower-income Americans uninsured? Well, we want them to be able to provide have a method so they can get access to it. There are things that we really do like, for instance, dealing with pre-existing conditions, allowing people up to the age of 26 to stay on that. Yeah, yeah, get rid of the, the these arbitrary lines of states. Sure. So I think there's a lot of good things that we but do. But access that. for lower-income Americans doesn't equal coverage. Well, we're getting rid of the individual mandate. We're getting rid of those things that people said that they don't want. And you know what? Americans have choices, and they've got to make a choice. And so maybe rather than getting that new iPhone that they just love and they want to go spend hundreds of dollars on that, maybe they should invest in their own health care. They've got to make those decisions themselves. So in other words, for lower-income Americans, you're saying that this is going to require some sacrifice on them. Well, we've got to be able to actually lower the cost of health care. I mean, one of the things we're concerned about is health care inflation is just consuming the American budget, both in the families and at the federal government. We have to be able to drive those cost curves down and provide good quality access. We do think that with more choice that you will get a better product at a lower price. And that's good for everybody on the entire spectrum of income. But you're not willing to say that more people won't become uninsured. Well, we lost, I think it was 4.7 million people or so actually lost the doctor that they had last year. The access is way down. When the cost in, in deductibles go up, you're not serving the American people well. And it, we have heard definitively that people know that this is not working. So we're going to try something different. 
we do think we can expand the coverage so that people have access to a quality health care product that they want. More access, but possibly less coverage. That might be the byproduct. Well, it, it, yes. Yes. I think that's fair. But we're just now consuming this. So more of the analysis has to happen. That's premature. We just saw the bill as of yesterday. We're just starting to consume it. So um, we'll have to look at how that analysis moves forward. Fair enough. Okay, well, chemotherapy costs like $200,000 a year, so I don't really think me getting an iPhone 6S is really going to take me, you know, <laughs> very far. And it's like, yeah. it, basically, it's like, you know, blaming poor people for being poor and, like, they, they don't think any of them work or, you know, whatever. So it, it, it's all just disgusting, and I can't believe these people call themselves Christians, you know? Yeah, and I mean, and there's a lot of things. Like, I mean, there's a lot of reasons a poor person could have an iPhone. Yeah. And number one... I mean, number one, an iPhone can be a one-time purchase, you know? Mm -hmm. um, it, it can be something you bought before something happened that made you poor, and you're holding on to it. It could have been something that, you know, a more wealthy family member gave you at some point for Christmas or your birthday or something. Um, it could be something that you're paying down on a month-to-month -month plan or something, which is, you know, I, the, so there's some saying out there that it takes a lot of money to be poor. Mm -hmm. It's very expensive to be poor. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of nickel and diming and stuff that goes on with you. You pay a lot of money for stuff that they give rich people for free half the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, look at it. Whenever they have a product launch or something, they give out free whatever the newest piece of technology is to all these celebrities who could afford the damn thing if they were interested in it. Mm -hmm. But they just give them free ones because they want people to see them using it. It's like, uh, you know, that, that never, you know, poor people don't get that. Yeah. So, yeah, and yeah, number, I mean, yeah, number one, a, a cell phone is a one-time expenditure, uh, or it's something that you're paying month to month. But, you know, nobody, nobody, nobody sees the Spanish Inquisition coming or however the cool is, you know. <laughs> like, health problems come up, you don't always know when they're coming. You may think you've got your life in control, you're living within your budget or something, and then something scary happens and then you're not and then you've got some fucking asshole on TV telling you it's your fault because you you own a you know a phone a certain kind of phone yeah so exactly so these people are they're you know they're heartless it's uh and it kind of affects Trump voters too yeah that's the thing I don't get is all this is gonna really affect Trump supporters the most really because i mean it wasn't the whole thing that he connected with the forgotten people of america and it's like well prepare to be even more forgotten than you've ever felt before and you know and and people in like these these places where he's made these wild promises to are they going to hold him accountable i don't know i mean what is going to get to these people what do you think the thing is that's going to make them see the error of their ways if there is anything you know like like people in west virginia that are like oh he's going to bring the coal jobs back and people in ohio it's like he's going to bring the manufacturing manufacturing back it's like what happens when he doesn't and what happens when you die of a totally preventable illness like and he promised you the, the moon you know <laughs> well if I, if I die of a preventable illness then i can't vote against Trump. <laughs> oh man I'm, I'm seeing the i'm, I'm seeing the the whole plan now <laughs> mm -hmm. well i mean number one you could always blame number one blame any failures on the Democrats opposing you. Mm -hmm. Well, gosh, guys, we really, really tried for you out there in America and stuff, but the Democrats just wouldn't play ball, and that's why we didn't get all our, you know, promises to you. Mm -hmm. uh, or 
worst case scenario, they turn on Trump after, you know, after two years or six months or four years or however long it is, maybe, God forbid, eight years. Um, but similar to, similar to George W. Bush, they turn on him after he becomes unpopular. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't stop them from turning around and voting for the next uh, Republican ignoramus that comes along, you know, wants to do the same damn thing, but with a, you know, a cleaner image. So, yeah, I don't, I don't have a lot of hope that these people are going to learn anything from this. Unless, like, a nuclear weapon hits, like, <laughs> I don't even know, not even New York City. Like, here, it'd have to be somewhere, like, <laughs> you know, it'd have to be a small enough town that it seems like a place that they would be, but <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know what the, I, I, the point is, it would take something really big to get through to the thick skulls that this guy is an irresponsible leader. He uh-huh. made a bad decision. You were wrong. You've been wrong for a very long time. <laughs> And, and another thing is they, they always make these predictions like about, you know, oh, Obama's coming for our guns. Oh, Obama's wiretapping uh, Donald Trump and he's going to do a coup, right? Uh, that's why he's wiretapping him because he wants to stay president. You know, oh, get ready. Here we go. Here here goes uh, Barrio's third term coming right up. You know, all this shit. It's like, okay, did he take your guns? Did he did he coup Donald Trump when after Donald Trump won the election? Is he in power right now? Uh, no, <laughs> you've been wrong. You were wrong. You were wrong. You were wrong. And now you're sitting there screaming, "Oh, I'm still right. Donald Trump's okay, but me, I don't think the Russians did anything." Like, look at your track record. <laughs> look at your shitty, shitty fucking track record. <laughs> Sorry for so much bad language, but I'm. It's it's been what? It's been a month and a half, and I'm exhausted. <laughs> Are we, are we winning so much we can't believe it anymore? I <laughs> that line from Donald Trump where he says, you guys are going to say, Donald, we're winning so much we can't stand it anymore. I'm going to say, too bad. We're just going to keep winning. <laughs> You're going to be so proud of your country if I get in. You're going to be so proud of your president, and I don't care about that. But you are going to be so proud of your country because we're going to turn it around and we're going to start winning again. We're going to win so much. We're going to win at every level. We're going to win economically. We're going to win with the economy. We're going to win with military. We're going to win with health care and for our veterans. We're going to win with every single facet. We're going to win so much, you may even get tired of winning. And you'll say, please, please, it's too much winning. We can't take it anymore. Mr. President, it's too much. And I'll say, no, it isn't. We have to keep winning. We have to win more. We're going to win more. We're going to win so much. I love you, Albany. Get out and vote. <laughs> I, have to, I have to admit, when I, went, when I went back and watched that clip after one of our podcasts, I did, like, laugh out loud after I saw that. That, that was pretty funny. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we're not winning, and we're telling you to stop, but we're not stopping. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's like you, you'll be begging to stop winning, and and he'll be like, "No, we have to keep winning." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no need, no Donald. Come on, no need, no. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine what the scenario would be where you would actually be tired of winning. Like, wouldn't winning feel so good that you wouldn't want to stop? Like, what would cause you to be tired of winning? Like, and, and why would the person now you're, now you're, keep winning after you asked them to stop? <laughs> Everybody asked that question, but now you're starting to think like a tennis. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know what it would feel like, but it sounds like it feels pretty good to me. I'm going for it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think, honestly, like, if you want to go down to it, like, if you want to go down to, like, who voted for Trump and why and what pushed him over the edge, I honestly think, because it came down to less than 100,000 people, and I think that, honestly, what pushed him over the edge were the people that were like, let's see what happens, you know? It couldn't be worse than what's happening. Uh, let's try it, you know? And uh, those people are like, just, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, and that's the stupid thing is it's always really easy to complain about the president. Like, are things as good as they could be? No, they never are. I can always imagine a better situation. But, you know, uh, people who realistically look at what the economy did under Bush and what the economy did under, uh, under you know, towards the end of the 80s and towards the, you know, the George W. Bush years, and then what happened under Clinton and, well, to some degree, I mean, Obama's kind of a mixed record, right? Because he got, you know, he got Wall Street back, but he didn't get Main Street back to some degree. Which mm-hmm. is, again, if he hadn't been trying to make a deal in the beginning with the Republicans, I think, yeah, I don't know. I, you know, you can't know what's in his heart, right? Right. But during the, during the 2007-2008 campaign, I didn't feel, I guess the 2007 campaign, I didn't feel like he was going to be a friend of Wall Street. But he was. At the same time, like, I just didn't feel like Trump would necessarily, he, he didn't talk like he was going to be a friend of Wall Street. But we all kind of would, and now he is. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's just like people have got to look at it. what happens under Republicans, what happens under Democrats. And to say that things are worse now, crimes at an all-time high, you know, black people are killing white people all over the place. And the opposite is not true. Um that, you know, immigration is an all-time high and an all-time low. I mean, these things are all, like, demonstrably untrue, but people say them, and then the news media is like, well, people feel like it, so I guess we better report it that way. We can't uh, spare their feelings. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But what do you think Democrats need to do at this point? I heard the argument, at least around the health care thing, that they need to just let the Republicans let this uh, infighting kill the bill because, of course, you know, the Tea Party patriots or whatever are, are upset because uh, it's still basically uh, the, the underpinnings of their stupid world's greatest health care plan or whatever it's called are still basically the same as Obamacare. It's just implemented much worse, and it's like just a, just a terrible version of what we already had. Uh, it's basically just a giant tax cut for for the rich, and it doesn't actually change the underpinnings of, you know, it gets rid of the individual mandate, but it's basically the same, you know, underpinnings that they went with. And, you know, not to mention the fact that Obamacare was a, you know, Heritage Foundation idea to begin with, so it really was a Republican idea. So the only thing they had was they were like, oh, we're going to repeal it, we're going to repeal it, and then they get in power, and they're like, oh, now we have to have a plan. <laughs> so it's like, should should the Democrats just let the Republicans fight this out and then they can't, then no one can point to them and say, oh, the Democrats stopped this, or should they get in the fight and be like Medicaid for all and just scream that for the next four years, or what? I, I don't know. You know, this is kind of the thing where I don't think I'd be much of a good uh, politician to say, because I think the bigger part of me says, yeah, just let the whole thing fail and let it all stay on the Republicans. 
and for God's sake, get some party discipline. You know, make everybody vote as one so that, you know, it's not like the Republicans can't come back and say, well, some Democrats voted for us, so it's on them too. Um, but, you know, that's that's my impulse is to let the whole thing burn down. But at the same time, I also realize that, like, people will die. You know, people are going to die and suffer out there in America, and people we know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're an elected representative, you kind of can't do that, you know? Mm-hmm. You kind of have to keep fighting for what's right no matter what. You can't just, you know, become nihilist or whatever while you're in office. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. That's a, that's a hard one, but I I think they've got to keep fighting, but I do think that, I think, you know, I think, I think they need to, I think they basically just need to go with Bernie Sanders. Mm-hmm. Healthcare for all. Cut the, you know, I don't know exactly what he said, but I imagine he said something like, you know, cut the, get rid of the healthcare, you know, health insurance companies and just have it be totally a government, cut out the middleman. Mm-hmm. Everybody's guaranteed healthcare. It's between you and the government. There's no, <laughs> we don't want the death panels, but uh, we also don't want the, uh, you know, these, I mean, if, when you think about what we're fighting about for healthcare, we're fighting about people living and dying, and we're fighting about um, saving money or losing money or people making. It. But the thing that's not being questioned is that the health insurance companies have to remain, and that they have to continue to be able to make record-breaking profits. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about life and death for many, many, many Americans, why is that concern? just taken as a given. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I mean, I know Republicans always say, well, you just want the government to do it, and the government can't do anything right. They have that joke where it's like, you know, the police like told the guy, like, uh, would you take a DNA test? He's like, sure, I'll take a DNA test. And they say, you're guilty. Why don't you agree to take the DNA test? He's like, well, I figured you guys are the government, and so you'd screw it up anyway. <laughs> right? <laughs> Like that joke or whatever. I'm, I'm sure I'm butchering it, but um, mm-hmm. you know they just have this inherent total lack of faith in in government that just doesn't translate to private for-profit companies, mm-hmm. which I don't understand. It's like, why do you think that these companies are going to do things much better, and why do you think that they are incentivized in a way that they will want to do the maximum amount of good for people when that's not what their incentive structure is set up to do? Right. Well, and you're attaching a profit motive to questions of life and death, and that's just immoral. If if you want to get down to it, I mean, it's it's you you can't play. You're playing with people's lives, and you know this is you know this is yeah. People are going real people are going to get hurt in the meantime. So yeah, yeah, it's uh, and I you know I don't know. It's I, there are also there are, you know. Situations like the VA, where it seems like it chimes, but I mean, I guess the VA has been understaffed, and then you know, Trump announced the hiring freeze there, or whatever. But it sounds like the VA didn't always have you know veterans' health concerns necessarily front and center. It wasn't always totally accessible to everybody when they needed it or something. So yeah. I think there could be arguments that sometimes government industries and government bureaucracies don't work. Mm-hmm. I can hear, you know, certain people scoffing, sometimes, what are you talking about sometimes? It's like, every time. It's like, it's like I don't know, you know, if, if, uh, I don't see a lot of people 
in the European socialist countries complaining about their health care. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't see people talking about death panels in Norway or Sweden, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it's like they're they're living in a fantasy world where some, you know, uh, belligerent dictatorship is going to, like, you know, kill them. And, like, and they don't realize they're, like, basically voting for the belligerent dictatorship. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is a total fantasy. So, yeah. I don't know. There's is there just something in the American psyche? I've heard uh, Christopher Hitchens say this before. He doesn't think that it's in the American character to want health care, or it's like you 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 shouldn't just get it as a right. You should. You, it has to be tied to your labor or your you know what you produce. And it's like, is there just something about Americans that we just can't fathom the idea that this is this is a should be a right that people should have? I think. I- Deep down, think Americans don't really want health care. They certainly don't want it if they have to pay for anyone else to have it. They think life should be risky. <laughs> they think you should be taking your chances. They look down on countries where the government tries to make sure that everyone's life works out. All right. Well, I don't know. I think, like, <clears throat> I, I mean, I think there's, with health care, health care is a certainly a very specific case, but I, I think that there is, like, a, I think there's that impulse probably in every society to some degree that the idea that somebody else shouldn't, you know, shouldn't, I, well, I, I guess the idea that somebody else shouldn't profit off of my work or something is a kind of a universal idea to some degree, especially like, well, there's an in-group, out-group aspect of it too, I think. Like, I mean, people who are within your in-group, yes, you want everything good for them, but people who you consider to be outside of your in-group, you don't want anything for them. Right, mm-hmm. so it's kind of like a like a like a modern day tribalism or something, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I think that that's very very evident and very obvious and stuff. But yeah, in America, it manifests itself with the healthcare issue, but also I think with like the you know there's something else that's coming, which is like the autom- automation of cars, right? yeah, automated cars and stuff. And they're saying that that's going to knock out like some huge percentage of the um, adult male population, working yep. population in America who work in some way in the transport field or the driving field and mm-hmm. drive for their job. Those people aren't going to have jobs anymore. And it's like, and then there are people talking about like, uh, I think Bill Gates or somebody was talking about, um, we have to look at taxing computers and taxing robots because if they take away American jobs, if they take away human jobs, those humans would be taxed, but these robots will not. Yeah. And... And looking at like a universal living wage or something, which yep. is a, it's a it's a complex and it's a it's a it's a concept that we don't really we can't really wrap our heads around at this point. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, I mean, like I don't know. It's just uh, it's it's very complicated. I mean, I, I mean, it, it is getting into kind of like the old critique of uh, communism and socialism, like. You know, if you work at like a checkout counter at some store and you make the same salary as a doctor, well, then why the hell would anybody go to school and become a doctor, right? Mm-hmm. But, I mean, there are still jobs that would have to be done by people. So would those people get more money than the people who are, you know, living mm-hmm. off of the basic living wage? And does that create a, you know, a, a huge class divide between, you know, skilled and unskilled? Does that, does that exacerbate that divide in yeah. some way? Um, but I, I think that's something that's gonna, that's coming up soon. Yeah. 
No, I've I've heard that same argument that by like twenty thirty the yeah it's it's like the main uh, you know job in most states is like truck driver or whatever for like adult males or whatever and and the, you know the 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 driverless uh, you know eighteen wheelers are common they they just are it's not it's not a question of if it's it's when um, and you know that is going to knock out a fair amount of the the population's uh, main source of income and you know it's not just that it's it's you know uber drivers and, and taxi drivers and you know apparently a large sector of our economy is driving places um, you know that's that's going to take that away and then even in the factory jobs even if the trump was able to bring back all these manufacturing jobs what percentage of them would be robots as opposed to when they left it's probably a lot of them and people are always like oh but people will just learn how to fix the robots and that'll solve it and it's like well okay but like robots take it's not a one for one it's like robots take several people's jobs at the same time and and one person it's not going to be one person for one robot it's going to be like 30 or 50 or 100 it's not going to be a one for one so yeah even if you know how to fix the robots how many jobs fixing robots is there going to be and then what, what happens when the robots can fix themselves well then we're in the singular I guess, but um. yeah, and then that's the day that Skynet goes live. Yep, exactly. <laughs> and then, and then we won't need a universal basic income because we'll all be running for our lives. But. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can robots? Can these goddamn robots swim? <laughs> going to Tahiti. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that's yeah, that's I mean, that's something that's coming on the American economy, and that's also like you mentioned, you know, talking about taking jobs. People, yeah, people assume that if jobs weren't going to these other countries, that they would still be in America. But you know, foreign competition and cheaper labor and stuff—that's one issue. But I think automation and uh, this, uh, whatever other words there are synonyms of automation, that's the other job killer, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, these jobs, I mean, and that's the logic of modern day, you know, capitalism basically is how can we do it more efficiently? How can we do it cheaper? How can we do it with fewer people to streamline our profits, right? Mm-hmm. And there's no concern about, well, we have, you know, I mean, I don't know, you know, I, I feel like a lot of the topics are dancing around are, you know, topics that 20 or 30 years ago were totally taboo in America, which are, you know, uh, you know, basically communist or socialist or central planning or, I mean, look at, I mean, look at China's population control policies. Mm-hmm. Is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? Well, you know, we say it's a bad thing and they have forced sterilization and they have forced abortions and they have, you know, massive fines if you get caught having more than one child or whatever in the past. And they've done away with this in the past few years. But but look at their other problem. Their other problem is they have a massive population that have huge pollution that's just totally out of control. And they have an expansionist foreign policy. They just basically think that everything in Asia belongs to them. Um so, I mean, if, if in America, if we were to, I mean, you watch a movie like uh, Idiot, Idiocracy or whatever, where the smart people basically stop breeding and the dumb people breed like crazy, mm-hmm. and then several hundred years later, 
you know, we're living in Trump's America. I mean, like maybe we're there. But do you think, uh, do you think, I mean, the, the, of course I can hear the critique already of what you're saying. Uh, oh, this is just eugenics. This is Hitlerian. This is, you know, concentration camps and, and, you know, this, this is back to the, you know, totalitarianism. What are you doing? Well, I'm, I'm not saying that this is necessarily the way it has to go, but I'm saying the trends right now are not looking good. You know, people are losing jobs. Trump says they're going to get the jobs back. Trends suggest otherwise. Technology suggests otherwise. The direction the planet's moving in suggests otherwise. And so that's when we have to start looking at things like universal guaranteed income and population controls and these kinds of things. Because, I mean, you know, we can keep going the way things are for another, you know, 10 or 20 or 30 years and see where we wind up. But, um, you know, bad things are happening. Yeah. Well, this is why I never take the uh, anti-abortion people totally seriously ever, because they're never, ever for free birth control or in non-abstinence-only sex education or anything that would reduce the likelihood of having an abortion be a reality in someone's life. So if you're really, really committed to what you're saying, maybe prevent the situation from even occurring in the first place, and then no one will have to make this decision, or less people will anyway. But they're never for that. They're never, ever for that. It's all about control. They just want to control people's lives. They don't want people to have any autonomy over their own decisions. You can see this uh, play out on the other end because they're uh, they're against you know the you know right to die uh, bills all over. They don't want people to be able to take themselves out if they're in a horrible situation. They just want you to pray until the end and, and hope that you know you don't you don't suffer too much and and just go naturally or whatever that means. You know what I mean? They, they're always it's all about control and they don't want you to have any control over your life. They want to be the ones in charge of it. So I never take those people seriously because they're never for the stuff that would prevent these situations from happening. So. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing, like, I can imagine, I can imagine, like, some sort of an idyllic past or something where people would actually, if they were serious about, yeah, about reducing the number of abortions, well, we have scientific studies that say that, you know, uh, more education, uh, comprehensive sex education, not just abstinence only, um, yeah, condoms, all the stuff you mentioned, uh, drastically reduces and, you know, comes closer than they're ever going to get to eliminating abortion. But they're not interested. They don't want to talk about those things. They think it's all a sin. It's like you can't, in a democracy, you can't, uh, there's no deal. I mean, there's no deal on the table there, right? You can't make a deal with these people. Mm-hmm. And, and, and frankly, I mean, it's, I, I you know, I'm, I'm as pro-choice as the next guy, but, like, yeah, I mean, is it better in a world where there are fewer abortions? Sure. Yeah. Okay, so how do we get there? These are the logical scientific steps that are proven to work. Yeah. That's where, if you're serious about it, that's what you got to do. If you're not serious about it, then we're, the conversation is over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's the same thing how they're they're targeting Planned Parenthood all the time, and, and they're always trying to uh, re- reduce funding and make it harder for them to do their work and stuff. And, you know, yes, there is a small percentage of Planned Parenthood's budget that goes to abortions. Yes, that is something they do. Hospitals also do that, and, but you don't ever hear them talk about that. But And it should be noted that the small portion of their budget that goes to that is not coming from taxpayer funding. Oh, yeah, exactly. No, 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 yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And that's, that's a very 
very important point because they, they always say, I don't want my tax dollars funding somebody's abortion because they couldn't keep their legs closed or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what they talk about. I mean, like, they're, they're, it's just, I mean, choose your poison with Republicans. They're out of touch with reality, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But I'm just, I'm just saying, like, I mean, they, they, they're, they ignore the facts. They stick dogmatically to their ideo- ideology, and they um, aren't interested in actual solutions or any kind of compromise that would actually give them the outcome that they seem to say they want. You know, mm-hmm. so you know, how do we, as a country, as a you know, democracy? That's the thing. Like, we're exploring these ideas. You know, we're talking about these certain ideas, like you know, population control, um, universal guaranteed income, universal health care. These things that these ideas that are like totally anathema to them, but it's like we have to think about these ideas because democracy only works when we have two parties that can work together, or however many parties or whatever. But when one party stops working together and becomes impossible to negotiate with, doesn't make deals, doesn't meet halfway, doesn't do um, good faith things that would actually get them closer to the goal that they want. Well, democracy breaks down, and the system doesn't work, mm-hmm. right? And that's what we're that's what we're finding more and more. I think with the Republican hardliners, mm-hmm. kind of the the extremists. Well, I think we talked about this before. It's like it, it's not that it's just that the rules there's there are no rules anymore, really. I mean, yes, maybe there are rules for for you and I, but I mean that's that's the one thing Trump is is uh, just knocking down is just these norms, and you can't say that, and you can't do that, and he's like, yes, I can, and I don't care, I'm gonna do it, you know. So <laughs> yeah, if he was like five percent smarter, he might survive. Mm-hmm. But I think he's gonna get impeached because he just doesn't, you know. Uh, the one thing I will say, you know, I'm, I'm taking notes on certain things that he's done, and I'm thinking, like, if I were to ever run for president, okay, number one, never, ever apologize for anything. Mm-hmm. Because the moment you you do, and by the way, I picked up a book. Uh, I ordered it from America last week at the English language bookstore up in Seoul. It took two weeks to get here, but I got Matt Tybee's uh, Insane Clown President Dispatches from the 2016 Circus, which I've been reading. How is it? Oh, it's pretty good. I'm a little disappointed because I feel like he just kind of took a bunch of his uh, his articles from Rolling Stone, some of which I've read before. But um, but it is nice to have them kind of all in one place and kind of chronologized. Chronologized. Chrono- How do I say? Oh, yeah, I know what you're saying. <laughs> and um, put it in the right order. And, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. And he, he talks about this. He talks about like how the media used to do this thing. You know, we do blame the media a lot for getting us Donald Trump. And I think it was CNN or CBS or somebody CEO said like uh, Moonves or whatever his name was. I forget his name. Plus Moonves. Yeah. He said that. He said that famous thing was like, "This is Donald Trump's bad for America, but he's good for CNN or whatever." He said. Mm-hmm. Man, who would have expected the ride we're all having right now? This is pretty amazing, and, uh, you know, who would have thought that this circus would come to town? But, um, you know, it may not be good for America, but it's damn good for CBS. That's all I got to say. <laughs> so, what, what can I say? It's, uh, you know, the, the, the money's rolling in, and uh, this is... Polls are open. This is, this is fun. We had a debate a couple of weeks ago with 14 million people on a Saturday night. You know, it's it's... It's amazing. It's, that's all I can say. Do you look? Do you look at? 
the Trump phenomenon as, as impacting ad spend? Because while he's got lots of money, he's got a lot of free media as well. Yeah, he's getting a lot of free media, but all that's happening out there, there there's, there's a lot of money in the marketplace. There's a lot of money in the marketplace. And sure, is Donald, uh, you know, I mean, you know, they're, they're not even talking about issues. They're throwing bombs at each other, and I think the advertising reflects that. Most of the ads are not about issues. They're sort of like the debates. They're saying he did this or he did that. It doesn't say what I stand for. It's, uh, you know, it, it, it is, I've never seen anything like this. And, uh, you know, this is going to be a, a very good year for us. <laughs> Sorry. It's a terrible thing to say, but uh, bring it on, Donald. Go ahead. Keep going. Uh, don't write. Somebody, I, I did, said that at another investor conference the next day, some blog put out, Moonvest supporting Trump wholeheartedly. I said, no, no, no. It's, it's, I'm, I'm not taking it aside. I'm just saying, for us, economically, Donald's place in this election is a good thing. CBS is a hedge right, on right. Trump. It, it, exactly. That's what you're saying. Got it. It's like he was. But to be totally fair to the media, they didn't give the guy a total free ride. They tried to kill him every step of the way to some degree, with the only trick they knew, which was what, what this guy calls, you know, what um, Matt Tidey calls the, the kiss and death or something or something like that, which is basically where you, you, you confront the politician with something totally inexcusable that they did or said, and you, you make them apologize. Mm-hmm. And then once they apologize, you just clamber all over them because you saw blood in the water and everything, and their career is over, basically. Yeah. He uses the example of Howard Dean with the Dean School. Oh, yeah. And we look back now, it's like, how is that ever disqualified? Yeah. Exactly. He just got kind of excited, and, and he was trying to reinvigorate his campaign after a tough loss in, in Iowa. <laughs> yeah. I think, as we said back in the day, he lost control of his rock and roll. And yes, they, they never forgave him for that. The dudes were making remixes of it. Oh, yeah. So, but, um, but to be fair to the media, I mean, they did try to do that. They tried to, to make Donald Trump apologize a million times and he should never apologize and so they never got that gotcha moment where they could pile on him and everything and he just seemed totally oblivious and he, I mean number one he's shameless he's like, yes. I mean <clears throat> people say he's a narcissist I think he's a sociopath or something worse but it's like I mean he, he doesn't register shame he doesn't experience shame the way normal people do mm-hmm. so that's I mean I'd like to think if I were a politician I would just never ever apologize for anything but at the same time I'm but a mere man. Yeah. <laughs> He's on some other level shit. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's really hard never to apologize. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't even like uh, hesitate uh, with it. He never. He yeah. There's never a moment where he's like, "Should I apologize?" He doesn't. He doesn't that part doesn't of his brain doesn't exist. There, it's like uh, file not found. You know. What I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I, I think like. And, and I mean, I, I get so frustrated with these. Uh, what is it, the Goldwater rule that psychiatrists and psychologists have to adhere to, mm-hmm. uh, supposedly for some stupid reason? Like, well, we couldn't possibly actually comment on this guy because we've never met him. But you've seen so many hours of this guy. You've seen his behavior. Uh, I mean, he acted as his own publicist under a different name in the 1980s. Yep. And he was talking about how many women he was sleeping with to newspaper reporters. And the newspaper reporters were winking and nodding that they knew that they were actually talking to Donald Trump. 
that's not normal. And there's a name for what that is. I don't know what the name is, but it's, you know, <laughs> to choose your poison. <laughs> but, but there's also the idea, you know, if, if you're a psychiatrist or a psychologist and you're, you know, treating someone and they say that they have intention or possibility to do harm to, to others, you have a professional responsibility to, um, you know, prevent that somehow, whether it's by jailing that person or, you know, medicating them or mm-hmm. warning the person that they're going to come after or something. I don't know what it is, but there's, there's an alternate responsibility that those kinds of professionals have, and I think. And when you've got a sociopath trying to lead America and you know how good, bad that would be, when you, you, as a psychiatrist or a psychologist, you see how much damage these kinds of people can do just on an interpersonal level in their day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. And when you you with that large on the American population, mm-hmm. you have another responsibility besides this. This I don't even fully understand what the point of it was. They were, they said some bad things about about a politician in the sixties, and so now they're never allowed to talk about politicians again. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's dangerous to. I think the idea is anyway that it's supposed to be dangerous to diagnose people from afar. But I mean, when you have somebody who's been in the public eye and been just a, a, a media uh, figure for decades, and we have just countless hours of this guy on tape, I mean, how much more do you, you need to see? I mean, yeah, if you see a snippet of somebody and and like a five minute clip, and you're ready to diagnose them as this or that, that might be questionable. But you know, we the, the results. I think at this time maybe in you know <laughs> we have the tapes yeah so yeah I mean, and it's, and, and another thing is like if you're doing like you know I don't know cognitive behavioral therapy or you're, you're having like one-on-one sessions with somebody or whatever and number one they may be trying to hide a lot of things from you mm-hmm. but we've seen Donald Trump at his most unguarded moments when he's on the on the on the bus with Billy Bush I mean that's the kind of stuff that, that that's a that's a sociopath interacting in their everyday life. That's the kind of thing that you don't necessarily get to see when you're you're giving therapy to somebody as a psychiatrist. But you're seeing the person in their own natural environment and how they actually behave and how it impacts other people. I mean, so I think the argument could be made that you actually have access to more, you know, information about this guy than you actually would as a as a as a you know sure. one on one setting necessarily. Yeah. Yeah, and Donald Trump is never going to let himself be anywhere near a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Yeah. You know that. True. <laughs> He's never going to allow himself to be, you know, in a one-on-one position with a person who could later come out and diagnose him or something. So, yep. And there are some other people I think that he will never actually allow himself to be anywhere near too. And I, I was thinking about some of those people the other day, and I can't remember who I thought they were, but. Um, oh, another thing. I think Donald Trump will never allow himself to be put under oath for any reason, as long as he can reasonably avoid it, because he lies like he breathes. Mm-hmm. You know, he can't go one sentence without lying. So he's never going to allow himself to be put under oath for anything, because he can lie, you know, he can lie and lie and lie and lie, and as long as it's not under oath, then like people are like, well, what, what can we do? We can't yeah. even keep lying. He wasn't under oath. So... He's never going to let himself be alone with a psychiatrist. He's never going to let, or at least not a psychiatrist that's not on his page, on his payroll. Mm-hmm. And he's well, never going to let himself be caught under oath. Yeah. Well, I guess.
guess the only other thing I could say to that is he does like to sue a lot, and if you do, you open yourself up to deposition and cross-examination and discovery and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, that would be a case where he would have to, unless he's just willing to settle out of court, uh, you know, every single time. Uh, but... Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's, uh, I, I don't know. I think people have just kind of like forgotten how this works and stuff. I mean, like when you're a rich person or whatever. <clears throat> I mean, like people, you know, liberals like, he raped his own ex wife. And people are like, no, he didn't. Um, she recanted. It's like, this guy's a billionaire. He says 10 billion, other people say one or two billion, maybe. We may never know if he doesn't release his taxes. Release your taxes, Donald. But the thing is, when you're rich enough and the other person has gotten kind of something that they want from you in court, you have means to make them never, ever talk about that again. Mm-hmm. So like, people act like they forgot that. Like, oh, yeah, I guess she was lying when she said that the first time. The second time must be the right thing. No, it's the opposite way. The first time she was telling the truth and then, you know, the money people got to her and she's like, oh, yeah, he's a great guy. Yeah. yeah. No problems. Yeah, well, it's kind of the same thing. Uh, it's kind of a different subject, but kind of the same uh, issue where people. Uh, this is why false confessions uh, are hard to, uh, you know, get rid of in a in a court case. You know, if, if somebody's being put the screws to and stuff, because people on the outside are always saying, "Oh, you know, I'd never let myself you know, say I did something I didn't do. Why'd you say you did it if you didn't do it? Huh? I would never do such a thing. I would just say no, no, no yeah. until the end. But it's like." Okay, if you're in this interrogation room for hours on end, you don't know when you're getting out. Uh, you know you've you've been uh, coerced and, and lied to, and maybe threatened by the by the officers in front of you. Um, you know you just want to leave. Uh, they're saying you can leave if you just sign this thing. Uh, you know what I mean? Like there's all these mitigating factors, and people never want to think that they would do that in that situation. But you never know how you're going to you react until you're in that situation. You don't know what outside pressures there are either. So. Yeah, I feel like it's the kind of thing that most Americans could understand in the context of a TV show. <laughs> but then again, in most TV shows and stuff in America, in most movies, like the hero never does the wrong thing. He right. Like, you know, sticks to the right thing until the end, and he, you know, triumphs. Right. Uh, I guess actually, a lot of TV shows have kind of like anti-heroes. So that's not necessarily true for you know the golden age of cable television or whatever. But yeah. I feel like with movies, it's still basically true. The hero never does a bad thing and never never gives in. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, people need to watch The Wire. <laughs> Bob, you still got to watch The Wire all the time. Yeah. I, like, I, seriously, you'll thank me. Watch, spend a month, watch the show, and thank me later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's the order of events. <laughs> I guarantee, I guarantee you won't regret it. Okay. You'll be you'll be enjoying that show so much anymore you'll say to me, Jonathan, I don't want to enjoy that show anymore. But you will. You're gonna keep enjoying that show. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, like in that show throughout the course of it, I mean like there are good cops and bad cops and good criminals and bad criminals. But, like, throughout the course of it, you'll see about a million ways that the police can get somebody to, you know, do something or say something that they want them to. And, you know, and, and yet the audience still is aware that, like, that was not right or that was not legitimate or they were 
were a criminal, but the police kind of got them the wrong way, or they were totally innocent, but the police got them to say that stuff. And like, yeah, you'll see all that kind of stuff in there. Yeah. So, yeah. Just really recommend it. Mm-hmm. You been watching any other TV shows lately? Survivor. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah. New season just started, season 34. Game changers. Wow. What's the concept this time? Um, everybody who was on the show this season did somebody, they didn't necessarily win, although a couple of them did win a couple. One of them won twice, even. Um, but some of them got even voted out pretty early sometimes, I think. But the, the point was that they were all people who, like, made big moves, right? Hmm. Which is something that Jeff's, Jeff's, uh, Jeff Coates really respects, I guess. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it's um, I've got a little pool going with some other guys in Korea here, like we did last season. We did season thirty-three where we all like kind of you know put twenty dollars on it, edit this out if this happens to be illegal, but it's kind of like a friendly wager. And then we just like kind of you know said like who do we think was going to be voted out next, and who's going to do this, and who's going to win the immunity and stuff like that. And at the end of the season, we just kind of tallied up all our points to see who won. I didn't win. I think I came in like third or fourth or something. I didn't. Uh, there were like seven or eight people total. I came in somewhere in the middle, which I'm pretty much okay with. Mm-hmm. You know, Twenty dollars is nothing. It, it was a. It was a. It was a fun experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, with Survivor, so I, I've always enjoyed Survivor. And I like it and stuff. It's you know beautiful scenery, usually interesting people, not not always, and, and just you know a competitive, cutthroat environment that is. Uh, I just find it endlessly compelling. Mm-hmm. But, um, but there, I tell you what, when you put a little bit of money on it, I mean, you could put, you could put 50 cents on it, and it would still make it that much more interesting. Oh, yeah, really sure. What's happening and stuff. So it, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of something we're doing these days. Is there a formula you see to picking winners on that show? Nope. <laughs> Last time I had this one dude pegged, and I pretty much had him pegged from the beginning. He was kind of, he was pretty zen. He was actually like a former male model or something, but he just had a really kind of a, kind of a, kind of a post hippie mindset or something. And he was, he was just chilled out as fuck and everything. And he, you know, he made friends and he didn't really screw his friends over too much and stuff. And I had him pegged from like the first or second episode as going all the way. And he did. He went all the way to the final two, but the, the guy he went up against, his mother was dying of cancer. Mm-hmm. And he played that card at the final, uh, final like immunity thing or the final tribal council, and he won like unanimous support from the people. He mm-hmm. won every vote, and I was like, "Come on!" <laughs> I mean, you can't. Uh, I, I know that's that's something you learn in Survivor is you can't plan everything and you can't predict everything, and sometimes something just totally out of left field comes out there that dashes your plans and mm-hmm. stuff. But it's like I don't know, I. I I'm sorry for the guy. And I thought he was actually a pretty decent guy. I didn't have anything against him really, but like at the same time, the guy, when the guy that I had pegged from the very beginning was going to go all the way, and he did, and he was there in the final two or final three, and then he gets he doesn't win the million dollars because this, you know, there's I don't know, I don't know. I felt I felt a little bit cheated, I guess. Sure. But what is I, what I, is it about uh, Survivor that keeps you watching though? Well, like, I mean, back in high school, I, my family, we had like two or three channels of basic cable, uh, not cable. I mean, basic, just network television. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I think you may remember even in college and stuff, like 
I was never really big on the cable thing. I didn't understand the point of it. I mean, there were some good shows on it and stuff, but I just, uh, it, it wasn't in my experience to watch cable TV, Yeah, I guess. Because my family just, you know, until I was like seven or two years old, we didn't really have a TV. And until we got to Indiana, we never had a TV that was hooked up to any TV channel. And even then we had like NBC, ABC, and like maybe one other. Mm-hmm. But um, from the first season of Survivor, I watched that. We watched that after school or whatever. It was amazing. Like, because, you know, there was there was uh, Road Rules, and what was the other one from from uh, MTV? Uh, Real World. Rules and Real World, yeah, the Real World. I mean, there were those two before, but this was like the first time that we'd seen this kind of reality television. And it was just, you know, it's, it's on an island. It's on a desert island. It's competitive. It's got politicking and interpersonal dynamics. It's got the survival element. It's got, you know, just beautiful landscapes and everything. And so I just liked it. And a lot of people, you know, fall off and like, oh, God, you watch Survivor? Oh, is that still on? Oh, geez, man, I don't know about that. And it's like when you sit down and watch one or two episodes after another one, you just can't help but get wrapped up in the people's, like, what's going on with them? Mm-hmm. Their drama, their, their backstabbing, their betraying. It's, it's so great. Hmm. Yeah, so this this time, I don't know. I'm still looking at my first, like, um, the guy who leads our group, he had us all choose people before before the first episode, which we didn't do last time. And I thought it was kind of bullshit because I've only seen, like, half the Survivor seasons or something, so I didn't even know most of the people on the list. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't remember a lot of the other ones very well, so it was kind of like I just kind of randomly spread them out on the paper. I had no strategy of who was going to win or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I watched the first two episodes today, and now I have to start putting my list together for real. And uh, so I need to need to think really hard about who I think is going to go all the way. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it's it's hard to know. I don't think I could do it twice in a row, but yeah. Huh. Yeah. Have you, I mean, have you watched any seasons of Survivor before? I watched the one, was it the Richard Hatch one that was the first one or second one, maybe? Richard Hatch, he's been on several seasons, he's been on at least two or three seasons. Whatever the first one was, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the guy that ran for governor from Indiana, I think I watched some of his season. I I think I watched a few of the one, the Race Wars one, where they had like the black people versus the white people. (laughs) Yeah. Sounds like a bad concept, but actually that was an amazing season. Uh-huh. By the time they mixed them all up and stuff, and like they had like, the, I think they had the Korean American guy there, mm-hmm. the Korean American woman, and then they had that guy Ozzy, who's kind of a Latin American guy, I think. Mm-hmm. And like their team was just getting picked apart, but like Ozzy just kept winning the amusement challenges again and again and again, and then finally he got betrayed by I think the guy's name is Yo, like the Korean guy or something. Mm-hmm. That was a, that was, was a pretty wild season like that. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it since like at least 2012. But yeah. But you're not into any other reality shows. No. <laughs> yeah, not really. I don't know what else is there. Uh, Big Brother. The Apprentice. Um, the Apprentice. <laughs> not anymore. I think that's. I think that's over. I think the, the low ratings. Sad. You know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Not. Are we winning so much we can't stand to be winning anymore, Donald Trump? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's okay if we're not winning. Donald Trump is be there to kick us when we're down. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I almost want to go back and rewatch all the seasons that she brought or things uh, that had Donald Trump on him just so I can, I don't know, get a better idea about what he was like before all this craziness. <laughs> he's always been crazy. I read like a 1997 New York New Yorker expose, not an expose, but like a kind of like biography on him. They decided trying to spin in his life for a long time, and it was hilarious. It was hilarious. Um, I mean, it was totally hilarious. It was everything that we've seen in the past two years during the campaign. But you, you get the sense that it wasn't. I mean, the stakes weren't as high. Like, so, like, you get the sense that the, the reporter was having a laugh at Trump's expense, and you could do it, too, in an instant way, because it was 1997, and he was, you know, maybe malignant to the people around him in his personal circle or whatever, but he was not a threat to the global, you know, global peace or whatever. Um, but, at, like, at one point earlier, it, it, it's a long read. It's a long read. It took me, like, at least an hour to read it. It was really long. But, um, like, at one point, he, he had mentioned that uh, Donald Trump said that he could he could quote Donald Trump sometimes, but he had to list him as an unnamed source close to Donald Trump. But it was actually Donald Trump. And then, like later on in the article, he he quotes something about Donald Trump. He says, "This comes from to me from an unknown unknown source." And then he and he had some sort of a like a I, I forget how he even did it. It was very subtle, but he let the reader know that it was a hint that it was actually Donald Trump himself who had said it. <laughs> Because he he harkened back to the earlier part of the article where Donald Trump had said that to us, <laughs> and it, it was just a brilliant piece. It was so good. Yeah, I think I might have posted it on Facebook. So if you see that article on my Facebook wall, just like check it out. Yeah, well, I think I started reading it too, but yeah, it's a long one, but it's uh, trust me, it's a laugh a minute. Like I, it took me a long time to read the whole thing, but I did read the whole thing because it was just so funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that's so, the thing yeah. I, I hate to admit about Trump is that he's he's pretty funny sometimes. Like it's like I think we talked about this before. It's like almost in spite of yourself sometimes you're like laughing with him and at him, and it's like, man, if this guy didn't have like the nuclear codes, and if I wasn't worried about the future of the planet, like this would be pretty entertaining. <laughs> yeah, if he wasn't probably a sexual predator. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it is funny. I mean. It's kind of like George W. Bush. I mean, he's a funny guy. Right? Yeah. Uh, speaking of George W. Bush, did you yeah. see he has his new book of paintings out? No, I didn't. I didn't see that. I've seen a few things about his paintings over the years. Yeah, he's. I guess he's getting better or something a little bit. They say. Yeah, he's. I mean, I always thought that from the first time I saw his paintings that they were pretty, pretty high quality. Um, I guess this is uh, paintings of like injured soldiers. I guess which people find heartening, but they forget that he sent them to war. I guess, but um, you know, I, I guess that's good. But it's like, why are these people injured in the first place? But whatever. Um, yeah. So. Well, well, I've heard uh, years ago. I read something that, like, that every every year, like once or twice a year or something, uh, George w., George W. Bush has a kind of like a marathon or something, or a mm-hmm. triathlon or something on his property or something yeah. on his ranch down in Crawford, Texas, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And a lot of injured vets come there, and he he does the whole thing with them or something. And mm-hmm. it, it is like a it is a weird like kind of a weird thing because I'm thinking like. Irresponsible, but at the same time, like all these Indian vets seem totally cool with it, and they seem to like really love the guy. So mm-hmm. it's like I don't know. There's some sort of a weird, like kind of a symbiosis, or a, I, I don't know what it is, but there's something, something, something going on there. 
Yeah, definitely. But, but yeah, he does seem to be able to like connect with these people in some way, which you know, I don't know. He's a, he's a bad guy. I think we do. I, I'm torn. You know, I read I read things where people are saying, you know, oh, even uh, George W. Bush has said some bad things about Donald Trump now, so maybe we can forgive him now. It's like. You always have that impulse, but at the same time, like, he's a war criminal. People died. People were tortured. People were mm-hmm. tortured to death. Civil rights went out the window. There would have never been any Trump or Sarah Palin or any of this stupid shit if it hadn't been for him. I, you know, you, you just can't forgive. There's certain things you can't forgive, even while you appreciate the fact that this guy... You know, he takes some nice pictures. He seems to really care about Michelle Obama. <laughs> it's nice, but it's like this guy, he's a, he did some really, really, really bad things. Mm-hmm. Can't lose sight of that, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Well, time wounds all heals or whatever they say, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To, to yeah. malapropism in the spirit of George W. Bush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. I'm sure he'd appreciate it. Well, I'm sure, you know. <laughs> I'm sure in about 7,000 years, I'd have a beer with Donald Trump. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> when, the, when the roaches finally emerge from, from the nuclear <laughs> scrap heap of whatever the world is then, they're like, well, yeah, we really... <laughs> i got to tip my antennas to that guy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Donald, you really did it. <laughs> <laughs> Made the world a brighter place. <laughs> <laughs> Gave it a certain glow. <laughs> yeah. Did you, did you hear that thing about like Melania Trump reading to the kids the other day or whatever? I heard about she was that. Reading a Dr. Seuss book, <laughs> and she kept like it was a very like sardonic read or whatever that the journalist was reporting on. It was like. You know, I think the book she read was "Oh, the Places You'll Go," and maybe this would be an appropriate if, if you can get audio of Melania Trump reading that. That would be golden. How are you, Lauren? How are you? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thanks for letting us in your house. We appreciate it. We're all here. Good. Great. I'll let you lead the way. All right. Come on in. Good girl. Oh, very nice. <laughs> Good girl. 
know what is today? You know what is today? It's a reading day. You know that? Yeah? So it's a reading day, and I came here to encourage everyone to read and to just think about the books and what you want to achieve in life and just extend your horizon and think very, very outside of the box. So I brought some books today so all the patients can, all the kids can read it. It's a Dr. Seuss. It's one of my favorite authors and this is one of my favorite books that I will read it today. Do you know this book? Do you know it? All the places you will go? Yes? So, this is one from my library. It's the book, All the Places You Will Go. Congratulations! Today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. You have brains in your head. You have feet in your shoes. You can steer yourself any directions you choose. You are on your own and you know what you know. You, your head full of brains and your shoes full of feet. You're too smart to go down any too so good street. There <laughs> we go. Very nice. So I encourage you to read a lot and uh, just uh, to get educated and the beautiful books and beautiful stories in the ones that I brought. And I hope you all feeling well. I pray for you. I, you are in my thoughts and uh, just get better very fast. Okay? Thank you. And happy reading day. Nice to see you all. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to see you, okay? Stay well. Okay. Bye, sweetheart. Bye, sweetheart. Yes, of course. Come. You want to come turn around? You feeling good? Look over here, look at the babies. Hey, look at you over here. Say hi. hi. 
to keep up with everything. So things that, you know, would have dominated the news cycle for weeks and months are just a blip on the radar, you know. I almost forgot the other day that there's a Supreme Court nominee. I literally forgot that, and then I was like, oh, yeah, Gorsuch, yeah, that's a thing. And I was like, wait a minute, that would have been the only story in the news for, like, months, but, like, it's totally forgotten now. We don't even remember that, because it's like the torrent of, you know, craziness continues. So... Yeah, yeah. I think I, I read somewhere the other day, I forget where I read it, that like, Donald Trump is like the only person who thinks that the best way to put out one fire is to like start a bigger fire. <laughs> <laughs> because he does, he, he, he diffuses one scandal by starting an even bigger scandal, and then, you know, he diffuses that one later by doing the same thing somewhere else. And it's like, I, I have to believe, I think I maintain my sanity because I believe that at some point, it's gonna the weight is gonna be too much and it's gonna come to a head and it's all gonna catch up to him. He he can't finish his term. I don't I still don't believe he's gonna finish his term. I you know. I I know the Republicans control everything and twenty eighteen doesn't look much better, but I just have to believe that there's a line somewhere. Or he's going to, like, bow out, you know, like, for health reasons, or, you know, it's going to be, like, I think if it gets too hot, honestly, I don't think he's going to let himself get impeached. I mean, he's probably going to take the Nixon route, um, but he'll probably try to make it look like it's, like, a health thing, so it's not even, like, to do with, you know what I mean? He'll, He'll find a way to weasel out of it, because I'm sure he had a conversation with... Mike Pence or whoever, uh, you know, before all this, uh, you know, happened and he was like, look, <laughs> I'm going to walk away at any moment. So just be ready to run, run the whole thing when I'm, when I do. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm not so sure. I'm kind of up in the air about that. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't around during the Nixon years, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, do you get the sense that Nixon had a sense of shame? I think Nixon was smarter. I think Nixon yeah. understood the office more. I think, I mean, he was, uh, you, I mean, people forget, but he was the vice president. He was in Congress. You know, he had a lot of experience in government. He understood the office. He, he knew the gravity of it. Um, he, you know, he never said the things in public that Trump says, but he said them privately. He had at least enough sense to do that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. It's not. It's the only comparison that we keep coming back to because it's the only only thing we can think of. But it's like even Nixon was not this, you know, blatant. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. And and Nixon had like I mean he had he had some I mean he had some big scandals, but he didn't have this. I I don't feel like he had this many scandals. No, I don't know. I mean, I guess what did Nixon? What did he do? He weaponized the FBI. um, He criminalized certain drugs to target his enemies. He made a sweetheart deal with the South Vietnamese government to prolong the war until mm-hmm. he came into power so that he could get them more favorable things, which is mm-hmm. a violation, I believe, of what is called the, the Hatch Act, I think. Yeah. Which is exactly the same thing that Donald Trump seems to have done with Russia. Mm-hmm. Except that, you know, well, we're not directly at war with Russia right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, but I don't know. I feel like Donald Trump has done all that and then some. <laughs> you know, I just feel like there's been so... I mean, maybe it's just the fact that I wasn't alive back then, but at the same time, you you see, like, Dan Rather, like, his news and guts thing on Facebook where he's posting, you know, stuff, and even he says, like, you know, I think he got his start pretty much during the Nixon era, the Watergate mm-hmm. stuff, but he still says every day, like, I've never seen anything like this in all yeah. years, you know? Mm-hmm. 
So I do think we are, you know, even though I wasn't alive during that period, I think we can quantitatively, qualitatively, I forget which one, we can, we can basically authoritatively say that this is worse, I think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But, well, I think we covered a lot of ground in this episode. Is there anything we didn't talk about? Mm, we talked about survivors. I think we did a pretty good job. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty good. Yeah, I'm sure I'll think of something else. Oh, by the way, that Pokemon Go is on fire. Um, I have currently captured 208 out of 248 total Pokemon, and that's including at least three or four Pokemon that nobody can get yet. Hmm. Totally locked, but they're still in the list or something. So hmm. I'm I'm over four fifths of the way there to getting all the Pokemon. What happens when you get all of them? I I don't know. Uh, uh, a feeling of completeness will wash over me that will uh, make the last uh, thirty four years all seem worth it. Uh, I'm hoping. I'm hoping that. <laughs> well, you don't expect much. Um, but uh, do they continue to make more, or is there a finite number of Pokemon to capture? Well, like, I Googled this because I actually don't know shit about Pokemon before I started playing this game and stuff. <laughs> and I don't really care. You know, I don't care what... I just want to collect them. It's like a collection thing for me. Uh-huh. But, um, there, yeah, there were apparently, like, seven series or so, seven or nine series of them or something, and each series has something like 150. So, theoretically, there's probably, like, over a thousand Pokemon or something. So, mm-hmm. But they're releasing them very slowly. They've only released, like, Generation 1 and Generation 2 so far. Mm-hmm. So probably like six months or a year later, they'll release Generation 3 or something. But by then, I, I think that I should probably have just about everybody from Gen 1 and 2. So at that point, it would be even easier to get all of Gen 3 or whatever. So, mm-hmm. Well, maybe I'll stop playing. I don't know. Once I collect them all, I can stop. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Anyways, yeah, that's the other thing that's going on, I guess. But, uh, last week, my book my book club, we went out together, and we just got in a taxi, and we went to a place where we thought there'd be Pokemon, mm-hmm. and um, the Pokemon we were searching disappeared, but we just, we kept going from neighborhood to neighborhood and stuff for, like, two or four hours. We walked, we walked at least 10 kilometers, I think, mm-hmm. good exercise. We caught several, and then we went out and got some Korean barbecue after we walked all this way and stuff, and had a really good time. Mm-hmm. So we might do this. We might do that again this week, or we might not. I don't know. It just depends on how people are feeling after book club. Mm-hmm. So, so anyways, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll just leave it there. But yeah, Pokemon Go is continuing to be a thing. Mm. Awesome. All right. Well, stay safe over there, and uh, let us know uh, what happens with the uh, South Korean situation with the uh, government and all that. Hopefully, the the old people don't get too buck wild. But yeah. Maybe I'll see if I can maybe get an interview or something with a Korean citizen. I've talked to some Koreans about being on the podcast or something, but like they were a little nervous to talk about the political situation until now. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe now that you know, now that she's out of power and she probably, I mean, if they can if they can pry her out of the blue house tomorrow, uh, so well, people may feel a little bit. You know, I'll see what I can do. Anyways, yeah. Okay. Awesome. 
All right, well, uh, have a good night, Joe. I'll talk to you soon. All right, you too, Bob. Hey, have a good night. Later on. If you enjoy this podcast, there are several ways to support it. I have a Patreon account, which can be found at www.patreon.com forward slash Rob Burgess Show Patreon. I hope you'll consider supporting in any amount. Also, please make sure to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review the podcast everywhere it's available, which includes iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Facebook, Twitter, Internet Archive, TuneIn, and RSS. It really helps. The official website for the podcast is www.therobburgessshow.com. You can find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. Until next time.